paid my dues time after time I've done my sentence but committed no crime and bad mistakes I've made a few I've had my shelf and kicked in my back ladies and gentlemen to new heights a jukes original i am your host travis kelsey that is jason kelsey and uh jason what's going on bud yeah just proud of my uh my eagles eight no <laughs> no as you could clearly tell by the look of myself and my co-host we are not the beautiful kelsey brothers but i am peter that is dan and welcome back to the all sports news podcast daniel tracy how are you I'm pretty good. It's uh, it's too bad we we don't get the kind of viewership that uh, Jason and Travis get. But um, it's not, not I mean, yet. have you do you watch it? Because I watch it. No, I've seen clips, but I don't I don't really. Have I I watch I watch it, and and there I honestly do feel like there's a reason besides for the fact that they're the Kelsey brothers that it is the number one sports podcast in the world right now, which is crazy to think because I feel like if the Pat McAfee show was a podcast, it would be number one, but it's not. So. But uh, it, it really is great. They are really funny, too. So uh, Jason's got that, like, dry humor where he's more like the serious. See, like, I feel like it would work better. See, like, I, I this isn't based on looks, so don't get offended, Dan. But I feel like <laughs> I feel like I'm more Travis and you're more Jason because I'm, like, the lovable idiot like Travis is. And then you're, like, the more, like, you got a dry sense of humor. You make funny comments, but you're also super, super serious all the time, too, when it comes to this. So Well, you've got to be... I feel like that kind of goes with their position, though. You know, tight ends, so many tight ends are like, you know, they're not exactly Gronk, but they're not all too different than Gronk. And then to be a center, you know, you got to, like, command the offense. I guess that's how that's how Jason Kelsey thrives in his position. Oh, yeah. Definitely Hall of Famer. But we do have a lot to talk about this week. Uh, first and foremost, I know what we wanted to get out of the way was talking about the World Series. Uh, we also want to mention the whole Nets drama. And, of course, we're going to do our NFL recap. First thing I want to say before anything, uh, last week I apologize, especially to Dan uh, and the viewers as, and the listeners as well for uh, leaving prematurely. Uh, last week was uh, an interesting debt recording day for me. Uh, it was the day before my closing on my co-op, so I was had a lot of phone calls going on. Something happened where closing costs were like, oodles and oodles more than we expected so we were trying to sort everything out and uh i did leave promising i would come back but i never did so <laughs> i'm sorry back. about that but you're back now that's all that matters and you got any yeah. clothes yeah so uh it's been an interesting week uh kind of weird because 
I live in like three different homes now. I feel like I've, I've in this past week I've slept in like three different places. So it's, it's kind of strange, but uh, almost done. We're almost done with everything. I have one more bedroom left to paint, and then it's just the, you know, it's 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 just really moving in the rest of our furniture. But I've been working three to elevens at my job, so I basically been pulling like double shifts every single day because I'll wake up at like seven or eight. I'll go to my house, work on that, go straight to work, and then work like overtime there. So. I've been running on fumes for the past like five days, but I'm so excited about getting in there that it really like it doesn't even matter to me. So it's it's an exciting time. So we've got Peter here coming from one of his um, one of his many houses. Well, this is a different this is a different uh, background than last week. Last week I was at my yeah. girlfriend's house. This week I'm at my house, and I'm hoping, knock on wood, that next week I will be in my permanent setup in my own house. So well, that would be a big nice. day. Yeah, I, it probably won't happen. I'll probably 18. be back here next all right, week. All right. <laughs> well, whatever it happens, I'll be excited. Oh, thank you, Dan. All right, let's get into it. So, obviously, unless you live under a rock or you just hate baseball, you know that the Houston Astros did win the 2022 World Series. And uh, they everything that we said last week about a potential collapse, and we're really looking at a panic mode for a potential dynasty franchise could just go right out the window now because they did complete the job and they did do it at home first team since 2013 to win the world series at home. So it was an epic moment and and myself being a Yankee fan and you and yourself and yourself being a Yankee fan. Uh, I know that it comes with a stigma of hatred towards the Houston Astros. I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I think, I think you feel the same way. I appreciate a good baseball team and also watching Jordan Alvarez hit that 450 foot home run to take the lead was electric. I mean, as a baseball fan, you you have to admire that regardless of who hit it, regardless of what team. I mean, they're, they're the best team in baseball. It's just plain and simple. And it seems like they have been one of the best teams in baseball for a while. And it seems like they will be one of the best teams in baseball for a long time to come. Yeah. I mean, you have to appreciate a well-run organization like that. I mean, you know, I think we talked about it on here a couple times, but uh, they lose Justin Verlander for two years. They still go. They still make the ALCS and they go to the World Series. They lose George Springer. They go to the World Series. They lose Carlos Correa. They win the World Series. Oh, and they, they lost Garrett Cole too, and they ended up in the ALCS. They they lose these guys. They don't really replace them, um, and they somehow keep winning. It, it's it's the the mark of a of a great organization. I think I, I know that it comes with stigma for a lot of people. I know a lot of people are very unhappy that they won. I was kind of kind of monitoring. Uh, MLB's tweets have been an Instagram post about their championship and people in the comments were very unhappy. But, you know, you, I, I understand the reason for that. I, I know that the, the cheating and the, the scandal never really goes away, especially when guys like Altuve are still on the team. Um, but for four-fifths of that roster, they weren't there. They they were nowhere near part of that 2017 team, whether they've been acquired or they've come up through the ranks um, and they earned that championship. Look at that pitching. That uh, yeah. you know, these guys that we didn't even know three years ago. Christian Javier with the the combined no hitter. Framber Valdez uh, looks like he's unhittable uh, right now. Probably the the best pitcher in the postseason. Um, they they earned it. They really earned it. They they've gone through. I, I mentioned this on Twitter, and I was kind of reluctant to say it, but the scandal kind of makes it more impressive because they, they went through so much adversity with that. They had a managerial change. They changed the the GM, you know, they had, they have to play through booze on every, uh, every road trip. You know, they know that they're disliked. 
Uh, and yet they still did it. They rebuilt that roster. Uh, they thrived with that change of leadership and they played through the adversity and they still did it. I think it makes it a little bit more impressive. I know a lot of people would be saying, oh, well, you know, they shouldn't have, shouldn't have cheated in the first place, but you know, it adds a little bit of an element to listen, it. Listen, Dan, get, get close real quick. I'm, I'm going to say something to you and all the viewers. Every MLB team cheats or has cheated at one point. It's just yeah, part of baseball. I don't think they did it like the Astros did. No, absolutely I mean, not. Absolutely. No, absolutely not. You're right about that. But at the same time, I, I especially Yankee fans have some balls to <laughs> between all the steroid scandals that we've been a part of to say, "Oh, how dare they? <laughs> how dare they cheat like that?" It's like, all right, you, you know, let's get off our high horse here because yes, they cheated in in a new age way that no one else has cheated before. But at the same time. Every team has cheated at some point. I, you cannot tell me otherwise. You can't. Whether it's a singular player taking performance-enhancing drugs or stealing signs or something. Maybe It's just a part of baseball. Stealing signs is not the way that the Astros did it. But stealing signs is part of baseball. Listen, if I'm on second base and your catcher is flashing one sign every time for a pitch, I'm going to relay that message back to my hitter because at the end of the day, I want to win. I don't care about the um, – you know, the integrity of the game. I want to win. I don't give a shit about that. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, let's let's get off our high horse here. This is the problem with baseball. I don't want to go off on a tangent here, but this is what I want to say. This, this, this integrity of the game is what's killing baseball and why the average age of an MLB viewer is 57 years old. Because it, you know, it, it's just off-putting young people for this, all, all this integrity. It's America's game. It's America's pastime. Listen, I don't care about that. I know a lot of people don't care about that. It, just it has to die with the times. I'm not saying cheat, not saying that at all. But to get you know to to get on this soapbox and preach, uh, you know, the Astros should be thrown out of baseball or should never be in a World Series again. It's like, come on, like you just said, you just reiterated it perfectly to the point where most of those players are not even on the team anymore. And you know, you have a World Series MVP and a 25 year old rookie that replaced Carlos Correa. Like that in itself is an incredible achievement. So. You know, coming from a baseball fan, I have my qualms about the Houston Astros, but coming as as a baseball fan, I mean, it, it's incredibly impressive what they did. And on the Phillies side, I feel like it has to be said that they should not hang their heads. They shouldn't be ashamed of what they did because this is a team where a lot of people didn't even think that they were going to make the playoffs based off their bullpen and their defense. And down the stretch, really, those were two of their strongest points. So I feel like this this Phillies team really has something to build off of. and. You know, they're only going to continue to get better, I feel like. Bryce Harper is the undoubted leader of that team, and you got great role pieces around him. You know, you got Reese Hoskins, Kyle Schwarber, who I'm pretty sure led the National League in home runs. Yeah. Uh, Nicholas Castellanos, JT Romuto is probably the best or one of the best defensive catchers in baseball. Uh, a great one-two in the starting rotation, a great closer. They got a lot to look forward to. So on the Phillies' end, you know, you sh they shouldn't hang their head. They have nothing to be ashamed about. Yeah, and a lot of those guys who uh, toward the bottom of the line were very young. Brandon Marsh is 24. Uh, Bryson Stott was a rookie. Alec Bohm is something like 24 or 25. So, you know, if you're the Phillies, you hope that those guys come into their own. And then all of a sudden you have one of the best lineups, maybe the best lineup in the National League. Uh, and you can use that to compete going forward. But, yeah, there's, this is a, a World Series where, you know, if the, if the Astros had lost, we kind of talked about it. Uh, there would be fallout. That would be a problem. The, the the all the talk would be about Houston and about how they went to three World Series in four years and they blew it every time, even though they were favored. 
on the Phillies side, nobody's really talking about them losing the World Series. I, I think they kind of came into it playing with house money. Obviously, anytime you go up 2-1 in a World Series, uh, you want to win it. It's disappointing when you don't. But just the fact that they came that close uh, is really remarkable for that team. It is something to build off of. I know that they're disappointed. Um, I, I don't think it's impossible that they could have won the World Series. We saw what the Braves and Nationals did. That's kind of why I picked the Phillies, because they were riding that, that same kind of momentum, even though they were uh, an 87-win team. But, yeah, there's there's nothing they can hang their head about in losing. Yeah, I think that's it's perfectly said. And, you know, looking forward to next year. Now let me ask you a question. I mean, with the way that the Dodgers crapped out of the playoffs after winning one game in the playoffs, after winning 111 games in the regular season, you got to go into next year as the Houston Astros as, your, as the favorite to win again. No? Yeah, it looks like it. I mean, look at how how young those, those pieces are. Jeremy Pena... Christian Javier, Framber Valdez, you know, let alone all the guys that we have no idea who they are that they're going to bring up. You know, we, we know they're, they're going to be some prospects we've never heard of that are going to come up and dominate. Uh, yeah, they're, yeah, they're not they're not going anywhere. You know, they have a, the only older guys um, are really Yuli Gurriel, who who didn't have a good year at all. They, they don't need to bring him back. And then Justin Verlander, who I don't know if he's going to have the same kind of year that he did this year, but he really doesn't have to. We saw that in the postseason. He was nowhere near what he used to be uh, in the regular season, and they still won. They still only lost two games. So, yeah, they, they should be probably favored, unless, you know, the Dodgers go out and get uh, Aaron Judge or something. I'll, I'll give it to them if they can go out and do something like that. Yeah, they'll still lose in the first round. <laughs> they'll still lose in the NLDS they'll as still, they do they every might win year. Fifteen games, which in my book, that might make them the favorite. Yeah, but. Last thing I want to say on the whole World Series, and really our last take before we see some either managerial changes or we see some moves, trades, transactions, whatever it may be. Uh, two things I want to say, two people I'm very, very happy for is Dusty Baker and Trey Mancini. Dusty Baker finally gets that World Series ring. And Trey Mancini, two years out from being diagnosed with stage three colon cancer, coming back, playing well, getting traded to the Houston Astros winning a championship. So from going from probably not ever playing baseball again to winning a championship two years later, you got to feel for the guy. It's a, it's a great, great story. Did you see the video of, uh, I think it was like one of the dugout cams during the final out. Everybody starts celebrating and Dusty Baker's filling out his scorecard, writing down the fly out to Kyle Tucker before he lets himself celebrate. Everybody's every, all the coaches and all that are starting to jump up in the air before Tucker catches the ball. And he's got his head down, filling out that scorecard. I love it. I hope they hope they kept that safe. Hope they still have that scorecard. I hope so too. Now, maybe I I know it was the last thing I wanted to say, but you know, maybe I'll just ask you this one question: What do you think? Being that Dusty Baker is on the older side, you know, he finally has that elusive ring. Do you think that he retires or he comes back for maybe to try and run it back? Uh, he seemed. They asked him about this uh, after the game, and he seemed he seemed pretty confident. He said I, it was something along the lines of, "You know, if we won one, you know, why not try for two? <laughs> ah, I love it. I, I said, love "You it. know, now I got one, and I want two. That's pretty much his mentality. I so, I I would think he's coming back, but you never know. I'm maybe a week and some uh, conversation. Maybe he doesn't want to go the Tom Brady route and lose his wife or something. <laughs> uh, so maybe, maybe something changes over the next week, but I, it it. It sounds like he's he's going to give it another go. And, you know, that it's kind of because of what we talked about. It's not like the Astros are really going to lose pieces. They're so well-equipped to come back and try to win again next year. It doesn't yeah. guarantee anything. But if you're Dusty Baker, why you've waited this long. Why not try to become a two-time champion? 
Yeah. No, you're right. And uh, yeah, I mean, I would, I would do the same thing. It kind of feels like an, an Andy Reid type of situation in the NFL where, I mean, like obviously Andy Reid has not been in football as long as Dusty Baker was in, yeah. in baseball before his first championship, but it kind of feels the same route, you know, where, where Andy Reid was kind of like, get me a cheeseburger and we're going for it again the next year. <laughs> like it's, you know, I, I, I love that mentality where, you know what? That- and at the same time, at the same time, if Dusty Baker came out and said this was my final game, I'd feel the exact same way about him. But it just—it's a true testament to Dusty Baker's character that he says, "You know what? We won one. Let's run it back and try to do it again." Yeah, same deal as the Chiefs. The Chiefs can keep winning because they have Patrick Mahomes. It was smart for Randy Reid to come back. The Astros are loaded, and they're and half the team is young, so yeah. might as well give it a shot. So now someone's going to have to record this because I don't say this too often, but. Congratulations to the 2022 World Series champion, Houston Astros. You deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they did. They earned it. That's why, you know, even no matter how you feel, I think I think we all have to be open and honest about the fact that they did yeah, deserve this one. Absolutely. But the next segment here, as you guys know, if, if you've been listeners throughout the first 16 episodes of this beautiful podcast with my beautiful co-host of uh, New Heights. Uh, I'm not the biggest NBA guy. I'm a huge Knicks fan, but outside of really the Knicks and what the Knicks are doing, unless it's big trades for big names, I'm not really too into it. So I know this whole, I mean, since I live in New York, it's been a big thing on the, on the news in New York as well. The whole Kyrie Irving thing, what the heck is going on with the Nets? Uh, Dan, Dan Tracy's going to have to, uh, reiterate this and and really elaborate because I'm I'm not too in the know with this. Yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not even gonna dive into like what what everybody's got an issue with with Kyrie Irving with the the anti-Semitic stuff. But um it's a family podcast, Dan. (laughs) Well and I guess that means Kyrie Irving's Instagram account is not a family Instagram account. Um But, you know, it, it's. I feel like it's worth talking about the broader point and, and how this, this chase for a title with the super team kind of came crashing down on the Nets. Um, now, to their credit, for all the drama, I think they're 3-1 they're and one over their last four games. So they're, they're, not, they're not completely out of it like the Lakers are at 2-7 and seven right now. But um, they, they, have hit, they have hit such a, such a, a, a skid with this drama. Um, you know, first there's the – I think – if it's worth looking back at 2022 as a whole when we talk about the Nets. It began with the James Harden drama, and he forced his way out. Um, it continued with with Ben Simmons, who they, they got Ben Simmons for Harden, and then he like bizarrely refused to play in the playoffs, just kind of kept saying he was coming back, and then he didn't come back. Uh, and then Kevin Durant requests a trade. Uh, and then he, you know, they couldn't find a partner for him. And apparently he made the ultimatum that either Steve Nash and GM Sean Marks go or he or he goes. Um, and neither of them, neither of them ended up going. He ended up staying. Uh, and then you have now this this Kyrie Irving drama where he he posts he posts something promoting an, uh, an anti-Semitic documentary. I, I have not seen the documentary. I don't plan on it. So I really couldn't couldn't tell you for sure what's in there. Um, but people seem pretty defiant about it. Uh, and then last week in the middle of all that, they fire Steve Nash. And I think the most interesting thing about them firing Steve Nash is one, it came after a win. It was clearly planned. They were, they were waiting for an opportunity to open up. Mm-hmm. They wanted to fire him. Um, so they, they fired him at, I think something like two and five, two and six. Um, 
And I think the most interesting thing about that is it, nobody really sounded shocked on the Nets. They asked Kevin Durant about it, and it was like it was any other day. Um, clearly, there wasn't really much love for Steve Nash in Brooklyn. Uh, and then news came out that they're going to hire Ime Udoka, the the, the, self, the suspended Celtics coach, just to add more controversy just, to the just fire, to add a little more drama to the mix. Um, but interestingly, it's been six days, and that hasn't happened yet. They haven't made it official, even though the reports were pretty solid uh, from just about everybody that they plan to hire him. Yeah, and Dan <laughs> made an Instagram post about it, so you know it has to be legit. right. No, I mean it was it was on solid ground. But then you have reports from uh, yesterday that the owner, Joe Sy, has been urged by some voices not to make that hire amid all the chaos surrounding the team. So we don't we don't know who's going to be coaching them right now. It's, it's interim coach Jacques, Jacques Vaughn. <clears throat> and then on the other hand, Kyrie Irving is suspended at least five games, um, probably more. He has to clear like six hurdles to come back. Has there been a player in the NBA who has ever missed more games unpaid than Kyrie Irving? <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, <clears throat> I think you have to go back to like the the malice at the palace, that fight in Detroit in like 2004, where they suspended a couple guys for the entire season. It, it's kind of it, it's crazy for as talented as he is, how little he plays. Yeah, but um, I actually saw something funny. Uh, I, I I don't know why this popped up, but because we're talking about Kyrie Irving, but I saw a TikTok this morning actually. Of I I I don't know what basketball podcast it was, but they had Shaq on, and they asked him Penny Hardaway or Kyrie Irving, and like before the sentence was even out, he was like Penny Hardaway, and and they were like any particular reason? He was like, look at my face, that's the reason, (laughs) you know, typical Shaq. But like, it's funny how, like you said, he's incredibly talented, and and probably one of, if not the best, ball handlers of all time. At least he's got so much in his bag, but he's just so talented and. You know, you have to feel like a lot of that time has been severely wasted. Yeah, I mean, you kind of forget how talented he is until you see him on the court because it's so yeah. rare. Uh, but I remember last He's year. Like a right unicorn. After, I remember last year after he came back from the. Uh, actually, I, I don't even think he was allowed to play home games yet. I think it was still the point where he was only playing road games mm-hmm. uh, for the Nets because of the vaccine thing. I think he scored sixty points in Orlando. And he probably yeah. could have had more. I think they were up big. He he probably I think it was after three quarters he had sixty points. I think it yeah, was. It, it was something. It was something insane. He was having the night of his life, uh, you know. And this is amid all the vaccine drama. It was like fifth or sixth game back. Uh, and then last week, when this was all going down, I, I know. Uh, actually, I, I should say the week before last week, but this it has still already started. Um, I, I included him on my my. Players of the week in the top eight for the NBA. He was that good. He averaged like thirty-four points a game, very efficient shooting, even while all this is going down. And uh, you know, then the, the Nets were pressured into that suspension, right or wrong. Uh, it's going to be maybe another week until we see him again. I know he's got to clear a few hurdles to come back. Yeah, but I, I still think, even with all that, the most interesting thing is what's going on with this coaching situation. We just we don't know what's going on behind closed doors. But clearly it's something where there's some people are trying to urge the Nets not to hire Ime Udoka, which, you know, to me, it doesn't really seem fair. I, you know, whether he should be hired or not, the Nets clearly went into this with the, the decision to hire him. And they're already going through all this drama. They might as well just make the hire if they really want him. 
That's what it. are they going to do? Stick with an interim coach and wait, you know, till the off season to hire him? Yeah, it's like Jacques Cousteau. You know, they, <laughs> they said that that he he worked really well with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. And listen, if he can like calm down that drama there, and get you know get those two stars content and happy, then do it. I don't. I, who cares what the what the rest of the the media is going to say? If he can get those two guys in order, just do it because that's worth it. They're going to win. They're at least going to win a little bit if they can get them in order. But, you know, the, the fascinating thing is if he's not hired, well, who is? Because I don't think they're going to stick with Jacques Vaughn, who's the interim. I heard one, like, one report saying that they were going to go after Quinn Snyder. But which I think that would be great for them. That but, would be great. But I, I saw another report after that saying they never reached out to him. Now, that can change. That I, the reason for that, I think, is that they fired Steve Nash knowing they were going to hire Ime Udoka. So if that changes, mm-hmm. maybe they do reach out to him. I think that would be great for them. But – Kutstein is also kind of a, a hard-nosed guy. He seems like he he chews out players a lot. I, in one sense, that's what they need, and in another sense, is Kyrie. No, it's never going to work when you got soft and baby shit yeah. Ben Simmons. You got yeah, not, hey, oh, exactly Ben. I wasn't even thinking about Ben Simmons. Yeah, it, it's just never going to work that way. No, you have to have yeah. someone that will coddle these players. I mean, especially like, like you said, like Ben Simmons is the softest player I've ever seen in any sport. <laughs> uh, KD is another one who's just like whatever, I'll come play ball and maybe I won't like, you know, it's, I, I feel like it's just such a, like with all the, with all the dis- dysfunction that comes with the New York Knicks organization, you have to feel like it's just like times 10 with the Nets the last couple seasons, like it, between all the trades that they've made for these superstars, you know, crapping out in the playoffs, getting, you know, getting swept last year as well. Like, I mean, it's just been one of the biggest failures we've ever seen in NBA history. To have the amount of talent, the amount of star power that the Nets have had on their team the last few seasons and to have nothing to show for it. I mean, you could argue that if Kevin Durant's foot was two inches shorter, we might be having a separate conversation right now. Yeah. You know, they, they might they, be. They probably would have won that championship. It, it, it might be completely different, but it that didn't happen. And now you still have nothing to show for it. It's just been a huge disaster. I mean, every time I see like the Nets pop up, I'm just like, oh god! All of a sudden, the the Knicks are the normal team in New York. They're not very good, but for a lot of years, that was the Nets. Where you know, let's say before before Durant and Irving, um, where you know they weren't great, but they were they were pretty low drama. (laughs) All of a sudden, that's the Knicks. They're you know they're they're not that watchable. Uh, Maybe a play-in team. But at least you're not the Nets. I guess that's what yeah. that's the mentality we have to have. Hang it up in the MSG rafters. <laughs> at least we're not the Nets. At least we're not the Nets. Put that right next to the 1973 championship. There you go. I have the last championship we'll ever see for the Knicks. But <laughs> uh, I think it is time to digress and move on to our favorite segment of the week. Now, I did promise one guy. I don't know how active you are on our Twitter, but I am pretty active on our shared Twitter. and. Mr. What is it? R. Wilson. I don't know what his first name is, but I know that he does listen to the podcast. I also know that I'm pretty sure he is the leader of our Pick'em group as well. He reached out to me uh, and said, <laughs> he said, we, um, I forget. I, I don't have the messages, but he said something like, how about you shout out the leader of the Pick'em group? So I was like, you know what? 
you've earned it so far. So Mr. R. Wilson, I don't know what your first name is, but thank you for reaching out to us. And uh, I'm coming for that title. I'm just letting you know, I'm coming, I'm coming for you. This week was a bad week, but I'm going to come back next week. But um, thank you for your support. Thank you for joining the group. And, uh, you know, I hope I beat you. Yeah, once we once we count up my missed picks from that one week, I wonder where I'd be. Nah, you're done. No, you're done. It's not, <laughs> okay, happening. It's not happening. No, maybe no. I'll just earn it without that week. I'll just have to. I'll have to win that much. Wow. Okay, Dan. I don't know how you'll make up like 14 games, but if anyone can do it, I'm pretty sure it'll be you. So, um, first game on the slate. Not really too. I mean, actually, a little bit to talk about was the Thursday night football game between the Eagles and the Houston Texans. Uh expected a massive blowout, but it was also a Thursday night football game. And that is a game. Thursday night is always a game where like the impossible happens, I feel like. And for a while, when it was 14-14, it seemed like the Houston Texans were really in it. They were really, really feeling that game. And to credit to them, they played pretty well. Even, you know, even though the fact they lost 29-17, they were in it for most of the game. Really my biggest takeaway from this game from the Houston Texans is that they need to put the ball in Damian Pierce's hands because that dude is a special football player. I mean, I feel like they should really just take the route that the Chicago Bears have been taking and just kind of like take the ball out of Davis Mills' hands, let him throw like 15 times a game, and just put it in your playmaker's hands. And really, the only playmaker on that team is Damian Pierce. But, and everyone knows it too. That's the thing. Going into the Thursday night football game, the Eagles knew that the only weapon that they really had on offense was Damian Pierce, and he still rushed for 139 yards. So, you know, I'm just saying I, the Houston Texans season is lost. It's been lost since week one. But, you know, if you're if you're looking for positives for next year, you got to think that in the fourth round of the draft, you got your running back of the future. Yeah, they got a good one there. And a lot yeah. of people, a lot of people were on it too, draft people. Thank You're welcome, by the way. You're welcome. <laughs> A lot of draft people were saying this is the guy who's going to be the uh, the star of day three after the Texans picked him. He landed in the perfect spot, too, yeah. where he was able to just ascend right to the top of the depth chart. Um, yeah, you know, on the Eagles side of things, uh, I feel like people are overreacting to this game a little bit. There's kind of this narrative that, like, oh, the Eagles haven't played anybody. Meanwhile, in the NFL, all these teams are losing to, you know, look at the Bills losing. Not that the Jets are bad, but you know, anybody can go out and lose uh, to any team. <laughs> Anybody go out? Anybody can go out and lose to any team. You chose your words carefully there, Dan. But <laughs> but you know the the Eagles should not be shamed for not winning uh, by a by enough of a margin. Maybe the Vikings can. We'll talk about yeah. them in a bit. Maybe but the Vikings listen, can be shamed for a team like the Eagles. Eagles. You're going to come with, when you're. I, I I feel like this is the similar situation that we had last year with the Arizona Cardinals, where it was like, oh well, the Cardinals really haven't played anyone. Don't get me wrong. The Eagles are a much better team than the Cardinals were last year on both sides of the ball. But like. You would shame them if they lost to the Houston Texans. And you're shaming them if that they won, but not by 38 points. They did what they had to do. In the second half, that game was, even though the final score was only 12 points, a 12-point difference, the Houston Texans couldn't sniff the Philadelphia Eagles in the second half. It wasn't even a game in the second half. So, they've, Yeah. They've essentially I mean, played one close game. The Cardinals. Yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, the Philadelphia Eagles are doing everything that they have to do. And it, it essentially feels like they take their foot off the gas at most points. I mean, look against the the Steelers; they could have ran. The, they probably could have scored sixty points against the Steelers, and they and they didn't. You know what I mean? So they're really just taking their foot off the gas. 
when they have to. And I think that that's smart. There's no, there's no reason to run up scores when you know that you're going to win the game. You're eight and no, the point differential isn't going to matter at this point, you know, just, just keep doing what they're doing. They're winning. The the biggest thing for me is the growth that we've seen in Jalen hurts for the Philadelphia Eagles. Cause you look at how many times he's turned the ball over this year and it is completely marginal compared to last year. And he's also not doing too much to one third and longs. He's letting his defense go out there and stop the opposing offense. We're not trying to see on third down and 15. We're not seeing him try and scramble away and throw the ball deep downfield, potentially into double coverage like we were seeing last year, you know, where he was trying to play hero ball. He's not doing that this year. He's just going out, doing what he can. And if it's not enough for that drive, he lets his defense go back on the field, which is a great defense, by the way. Just added Robert Quinn for a fourth round pick. I know we wanted to talk about some trade deadline deals. So we could talk about that too. Uh, uh, essentially a rental because he voided the last two years of his contract, but to get a, a rental at the quality of Robert Quinn for a fourth round pick, I'll take that every single day. Uh, but you know, there, he, he, he's shown tremendous growth and this team just from top to bottom, everything is clicking. Miles Sanders has looked like everything we thought he was going to be. AJ Brown is looking like a first, the first, uh, the first round pick trade of the century. Uh, they're, they're just, everything is just working in their, in their favor. Yeah. I think Hertz has gotten more comfortable as the years gone on throwing to AJ Brown, throwing to, uh, to Goddard, to Devonte Smith. It seems like he's getting more comfortable in that offense with the new weapons. Um, I, I did like that Robert Quinn trade a lot. And part of it is the Eagles rotate their pass rushers so much. That was, they, they're so deep that they're able to kind of rotate them in and out and keep them fresh. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's going to benefit Robert Quinn a lot. You know, he's on the older side. It's his 12th season. He has not played like he did last year when he had uh, something like 19 and a half, and a half sacks. Uh, but if you can use him, you know, half the time and rotate him in and out, he might stay fresh and make a big impact. Same thing with Brandon Graham. You know, he's on the older side. I think he's even older than Robert Quinn. 34. Yeah, and he's in his year, 13th year, and he's, I think he had a torn Achilles or whatever it was. And he's able to stay fresh because they just rotate him in. They've got Josh Sweat. They've got Javon Hargrave uh, up front. Hassan Reddick. Hassan Reddick, who they signed in the offseason. So that's – it's kind of a little bit what they did in the, when they won the Super Bowl. I know that year was – was I know that the Super Bowl was a lot of offense. Uh, but they had they had guys like, like Derek Barnett only played half the time. But yet he came in and uh, he picked up the fumble that Brandon Graham forced at the end of that game. They were able to just rotate in so many of these guys – it looks like they're trying to do a similar thing this year, and I think it's going to work for them. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you on that. I mean, this this reminds me of the wide nine Philadelphia Eagles that had Connor Barwin, Trent Cole, you know, Jason Babin, that kind of unstoppable pass rusher. It kind of feels like that now, too. I mean, they just – the numbers don't show every single week, but when they want to turn it on, like look what they did to the commanders. Remember, they sacked Carson Wentz nine times. They terrified him. He's probably still – He's probably still having nightmares about them. They they terrified that. They harassed that poor guy. You know, they could turn it on when they really want to. And adding someone like Robert Quinn, yeah, I know he only had one sack on the season going into the trade. And it probably benefited the Eagles at the end of the day with the compensation. But, you know, you look at Robert Quinn, he's played on a really bad defensive line this year where he's basically getting double teamed every single snap in Chicago. You move him over to the Eagles, it breathes new life into his career. He's got a chance to win a Super Bowl here. You never know. He could be, he could be the trade of the year for them. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a different speaker, especially when, you know, just it's really that they've got so many guys. They're not relying on Robert Quinn to be the savior of the defense. They could have won. They could have had a deep playoff run without him, but it just makes them that much more dangerous. 
Uh, I picked the Eagles in this one. I'm sure you picked the Eagles. I actually picked the Texans. No, <laughs> I would. I, 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 I did. I did pick the Eagles. Yes, indeedy dandy. I did. Uh, so the next game we got going on here was definitely a trap game. I would say. Uh, it is the Atlanta Falcons and the Los Angeles Chargers. Now, from the beginning, from the jump, you know, you look at the injuries that the Los Angeles Chargers had going into this he- this season with DeAndre Carter and Josh Palmer being their top two weapons. Immediately screamed out to me, I'm picking the Atlanta Falcons. And I did. And I regret it. But at the same time, I really don't because it was a close game. But I mean, this was a, a like this was a good game for Justin Herbert. He had he had to face adversity. He didn't have his top like three weapons. I mean, besides for Austin Eckler, but you know, Austin Eckler played fairly decent. The defense finally kind of showed up as well, which is nice to see for the Los Angeles Chargers. They spent so much money, they spent so much draft compensation on getting players to make a difference on defense. And finally, we've had a little bit of a of a difference. It didn't start off well for the Chargers. I think they were down like 10 nothing real early, and they were getting torched on the ground. But they made adjustments at halftime, and you know, now they're 5-3, and three, and they're firmly back in the race for a playoff spot, if they're not in a playoff spot already. Yeah, they're in that, they're in that final playoff spot right now, um, the, the seventh seed. And, uh, and they might be higher if not for the bye. They've played one, one less game than the Jets and Dolphins. Uh, and they've got the same record as two of those division leaders, the Titans and, and uh, Ravens. So they're right in it. Uh, but yeah, I think I mentioned last week when we talked about, when we were talking about Tua and Herbert, I was looking at the Chargers schedule. I said, this is a very losable game for them. Yeah, we um, both I said ended up, I ended up picking the Chargers, um, luckily. But it, it was a losable game for them on the road in Atlanta without without all those weapons and still dealing with injuries. I thought Keenan Allen would be back. He's still not. I, it, every, every single week, Keenan Allen is a, is a game-time it, decision. He's going to come it, back. He doesn't dude, come back. Dude, it is so frustrating because I have him in like in like two of my most important leagues. And every week on Yahoo, it's like he's healthy, ready to go, and I'll plug him into the lineup. And then like 10 minutes before the game, it's like, Keenan Allen out. And I'm like, oh, come on, again? Yeah, it was <laughs> supposed to end with the bye. They're supposed to say, all right, well – uh, you know, they're just going to give him the extended week and then so that he's 100% ready when, he, when they come out of the bye. He was not ready. Uh, and not to really go too off topic here, but a lot of people hated me for ranking Keenan Allen. I think it was 16th or 17th among all receivers. Well, I hate the start of the season. But, you know, he, he's up there. This is part of being older is when, you know, he didn't he didn't play his best last year, even though he had a very, very nice year. Uh, and this is part of getting older is these nagging injuries that follow someone like him around. If he was 23, he'd probably be back by now. But the hamstring has not bounced back. Clearly hasn't bounced back the way he wanted. But I'm going to I'm gonna jump off that for a second and just say that, yes, the Chargers defense uh, had a really nice game. I know that the Falcons uh, were, were playing well early and, the, and they're also the Atlanta Falcons. But uh, Khalil Mack had that. Khalil, I don't know if you saw the play. Khalil Mack literally ripped the ball out of oh, Drake, I see everything out of Drake London's hands. He 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 just took it from him. He he walked up to Drake London and ripped it from his hands, and he took it down to about the five yard line. And of course, in typical Chargers fashion, they got nothing out of it. Justin Herbert <laughs> was intercepted uh, in the end zone, and the Falcons ended up actually scoring a touchdown on that drive on the possession that they got from that interception, uh, and they took the lead off of that. But the fact that the Chargers still didn't lose that game. After that, says a lot. The fact that they had every advantage and they blew it, 
and the Falcons took the lead and they still went and won that game. I know young Wei Koo missing a field goal is part of the reason for it. Uh, but the fact that they pulled that off says, hmm, maybe these aren't the Chargers of the past. And if they get healthy, they could be a real contender in the AFC. I, speaking of kickers, I just want to shout out Cameron Dicker. First off, not not only for having probably the second best name in football besides for Matt Gay. Uh, Cameron Dicker has only been active for two games in the NFL so far this year, and he's kicked a game-winning field goal in both of those games. So shout out Cameron Dicker for having the second best game, the second best name in the NFL, and kicking two game-winning field goals in the only two games he's played. Legend. But I, uh, I like I said, I did pick the Falcons because, as we talked about last week, see, you trapped me, Dan. You trapped me last week. You said, you know, yeah, I'm probably going to pick the Atlanta Falcons, you know, even though you don't sound anything like this. You're, you're probably going to pick the, I'll probably gonna pick the Atlanta Falcons. I'll probably lose on it. And I said, you know what? It just screams like a typical Chargers loss. And, you know, they almost did. But I don't get points for almost. So you pick the, the Chargers. I pick the Atlanta Falcons. Moving on to the next game, there's really nothing to talk about about this game, except for the fact that I actually said this um, yesterday to my cousin. He came over and he helped me paint one of the other bedrooms. And he said, you know, I'm feeling like after last week, even though that Carolina lost, he said, I feel like they got a lot of momentum. I said, listen, I said, the way that the Cincinnati Bengals lost and got embarrassed on primetime TV and Monday Night Football, there is no ch- – I will bet my life savings – or whatever's left of my life savings. Uh, I will bet my life savings that they are not going to lose this game, and they are going to obliterate the Carolina Panthers. And not only was I right, Daniel, uh, the scoreline does not even come no. close. I mean, two garbage time. The, the score should have been 42-7, to seven, and they essentially took their foot off the gas at halftime. The, and and the, Baker Mayfield and, came in and looked a lot better than PJ. Yeah, Barr. well, you know, when you got guys like me who are fifth stringers out there playing defense, of course he's going to throw touchdowns. Well, PJ Walker threw for nine yards in the first half, so I guess the, I guess the bar isn't that high. But uh, no, the 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 only stat you need to know about this game, besides the fact that Joe Mixon scored five touchdowns, which is pretty cool, uh, is that the Bengals had thirty-five points at halftime, and the Panthers had thirty-two yards. They had the Bengals had more points than the, the Panthers had wow. yards in the first half. Uh, that summed up the game to me. Yeah, that, that's really all you need to know about it. The Bengals were that good without Jamar Chase, and the Panthers were that bad. And Carolina, which almost ended up atop the NFC South last week, if they had pulled that off in Atlanta, uh, the Panthers are now right in that mix for that number one pick. They're right there with the the Texans. I believe they're number two. So good for them. They are. So either way, if you look at it they're just getting the consolation prize to whoever the Houston Texans, whatever quarterback the Houston Texans take. It's a good consolation prize. A great consolation. It's either CJ Stroud or Bryce Young. So either way, I mean, based off of this week's performance, it's probably going to be Bryce Young uh, because CJ Stroud had probably the worst game of his college football career, but yeah, it's, it's not a bad consolation prize at all. And that's exactly what they need because this is a team, despite their defense getting absolutely torched this week, defensively, they're not bad. They're really not. And they got decent pieces on the offense. Their offensive line is much improved this year. They're just missing someone that actually could hit a wide receiver. That's really all it is. But disastrous game. Uh, I do expect the Carolina Panthers to turn it around and win the division because Sam Darnold is being activated off of IR. 
<laughs> this this He's week. Back. Yeah, you know it's only like we're about a week and a half out from Baker Mayfield being benched again at halftime, and Sam and, and then yeah, in. exactly, and 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 then Sam Darnold coming in, and then eventually PJ Walker coming in right yeah, after yeah, that again. Rotate him out, and yeah, Baker Mayfield it, finishes out the year. <laughs> They're all gonna have like. Uh, it's uh, it's just it's so awful, but it's a terrible situation, and it's it's even impacted worse by the fact that all three quarterbacks on the roster right now are, are free agents after this year. Uh, we have to think, besides from Matt Corral having a season-ending injury before the season started, that he probably would have seen game time already if you know if it wasn't for that. So don't forget, someone said in my comment section in YouTube the other day when I said that. C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young would be a perfect fit for Carolina. He goes, why would they draft a quarterback in the first round when they have Matt Corral? I'm like, I'm like, really? I'm like, really? I can't stand those people. They do the same thing with Desmond Ritter in Atlanta. I like, seriously, right now, you're going to pass up the opportunity to have Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud or Hendon Hooker or Will Levis for Desmond Ritter or Matt Corral. You just throw the organization away if that's what you're thinking. But I'll actually read a funny one to you right now that I that I commented back to, uh, not to get too off topic, but it, it takes two seconds. Uh, so I had the Indianapolis Colts taking a wide receiver in my latest mock draft. So someone just commented. He said, first off, there's 32 picks in a first round of the NFL draft, not 31. So we got off to a wrong foot there. And he goes, I mostly agree with everything that you say except for the fact that Indianapolis have Paris Campbell, and he's shown enough to go a different direction other than wide receiver in the first round. So I commented back. I said, I am right. There are 31 picks this year because Miami forfeited. I was very kind, even though I didn't want to be. And then I was a little snarky in the next one where I said, and by the way, if a wide receiver with 66 receptions and four touchdowns through four years of his career is enough for you to go look elsewhere in the draft, I can't help you. I can't help you. Sorry. Why did he name Paris Campbell though? Because like, okay, it's a bad take regardless. Because they 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 just clear they clearly don't have the weapons right now. Yeah. But why wouldn't you name Alec Pierce or Michael Pittman? Like, I'm I, pretty sure Alec Pierce already has more yards in his career than Paris Campbell does. Yeah. I, I, no. I why would okay? I understand. Like, if you want to say, well, Pittman's not the number one, but 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 why not say like, oh, I think Alec Pierce is going to become the number one receiver. Why would you say Paris Campbell? Paris Campbell is like is like a um, a better version of Devin Smith, who the Jets drafted. Oh He's essentially – I, I say that because they're both from Ohio State. They're similar <laughs> players, and they've both been injured more than they've played in their career. Devin Smith never made any impact. At least Paris Campbell's shown up a couple times. But he's essentially the Colts version of Devin Smith. I don't know why that would stop any team from drafting a receiver. Um, but the, the 30, 31 picks, 32 picks in the first round thing was funny. <laughs> yeah, and he went on – all right, now that we said it, I have to actually read what he what he said because it's 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 very funny. Uh, he goes, blah 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 blah. Uh, however, at the end, there are thirty two picks in the NFL draft, one for each of the thirty two teams. Although teams often get multiple picks due to trades, oh, all of which you know. But you said, as always, that which I didn't say by the way, as <laughs> always, there are thirty one picks. But you made a pick at thirty two. That's not right. There are 32 picks. I did make a pick at 32 because the draft engine that I use still has, for some reason, instead of round two, pick one being 32, it still has round one, 32. 
And I always, the joke of my videos, I know you, you don't know this because you don't watch. Thanks a lot, Dan. But I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, the, the last pick is always either a kicker or a punter because obviously that's ridiculous. And so I just make like a joke of it. And I think he was thinking I was serious taking a punter at, in number 32 in the first round. And somehow got a D, by the way. Didn't get an F. On the grading chart, okay. I got a D. Well, so. if you watched the the Bucks yesterday beat the Rams, the, it was all punting. The punter literally won the game. So look at Michael Dixon; he was an All Pro in his first in his first year. Yeah, it, no, punters can punters can be weapons. Super Bowl, what was it? Four fifty three between the Rams and Patriots. I the the two best players were the punters. And Jake Bailey it, was the it, it MVP. It was a a a punt competition essentially. They they were playing the field position game the entire game. And uh, yeah, punters won the day. Yeah, I mean, if Ray Guy was available uh, today, you know, in today's NFL, I still don't think he'd be like a top four round selection. No. That's just not how it works in today's NFL. But you could get into the fourth round. I, I feel like I feel like once oh. you hit day three, if you got the right punter, you could do it. Rest well, think about it like Guy, this: the, the last two special teamers that were taken before three rounds are Brian Enger was picked by the Jaguars in round three. And Roberto Aguayo was picked in the second round by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers a, a few years ago. And yeah. both of those picks did not work out. So I think that no. done and dusted. Brian Enger is still around. Roberto Aguayo, was in, that was an epic flame out by him. Yeah. But regardless, I picked the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, <laughs> that's what we were talking about. Yes, I, I did. I did too. Yeah, I don't think that there would be anyone who picked the car- – well, 5% picked the Panthers, so that 5% is probably at the bottom of every pick that they play. But moving on to the next game, the Green Bay Packers and the Detroit Lions, and I said it to Dan before. I'll say it now to you guys as well. Uh, at 12.57, I had the inclination that the Green Bay Packers were going to win the football game, so I switched my pick that I had all week at the Detroit Lions to the Green Bay Packers, and it come back to, to bite me in the ass. But I, I want to say two things. One – the Detroit Lions have by far the worst defense in the NFL, but showed out really, really well this week. Two, the Green Bay Packers are done. Until they can get until they can get someone, a legitimate pass catcher for Aaron Rodgers, they are done. And I still don't even think that it's going to be enough. I think that if you look at it, trading Devontae Adams, even for what they got, was a massive mistake. They should have done everything they could have to keep him on the team because he it, it really shows that he, he seems like the biggest difference maker of anyone for the for the Packers. I mean, I, it's just been horrible. And also, I mean, that interception that Aaron Rodgers threw to Aiden Hutchinson also was like a, on Shaq and a fool. It should be. That was like the worst throw I've seen. But it's just a, they're done. They're done. Yeah, I think we can write them off now. Um, I guess it's not, you know, it's not mathematically too crazy. They're a game and a half out of a playoff spot, but there, there's something like 13th in the NFC. There's that many teams they'd have to jump. Uh, yeah, it, it's funny how, you know, the Chiefs lost Tyreek Hill, the Packers lost Devontae Adams, and the Chiefs are fine. They're throwing to 11 different receivers every night. I mean, it's, uh, they, they don't miss them that much. Um, and then the Packers are completely in shambles offensively. They've got nothing going in the passing game. Shout out to Aaron Rodgers for uh, some garbage time. I guess it's not garbage time. They literally they could have won. They could have won. In the second half, he ended up nearing 300 yards um, in total. He finished with 295. So shout out to him for the uh, the late game stats that make his stat line look a little better than it actually should have been. Do you have him in fantasy or something? 
I do have him in. I had him oh. in one. I had him in a, a two quarterback league. Um, I should hear that anymore. But um, it, it's amazing that that this team could only score even with with all the struggles they've had. The fact that Aaron Rodgers is not enough to score more than nine points against the Lions defense that's been so bad this year. Uh, it, it feels like a it feels like rock bottom for this team. I mean, yeah. I thought that the loss to the Commanders was going to be rock bottom. I, I was wrong, um, and it, it feels like this is going to be rock bottom because I think their next three games are against winning teams. So it'll be no surprise when they end up losing those. Yeah, um, imagine a scenario where we have Aaron Rodgers, who is coming off of back-to-back MVPs, going three and nine through twelve games. That's something that I did not have on my bingo card, my yeah. friend. Well, they've got and the I didn't, have, I didn't have Giselle and Tom Brady breaking up either, but I mean that's it's just been a wild year so they've, far. They've got the Cowboys defense next, and that is going to be uh, difficult. That's going to be difficult for them. Listen, oh, wait, wait, wait! I want to make a bold claim right now. You ready for this? Do it. Justin Fields' performance against the Dallas Cowboys will be better than Aaron Rodgers' performance against the Dallas Cowboys defense. All right, noted. What's the what's the metric on that? We're just gonna like we're gonna look at it and, and see who's better. Yeah, I'm just gonna go purely off stats because at All the right. end of the day, the 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 Bears lost by 20, so it really doesn't matter. But he also didn't. I don't think he committed a turnover, and he yeah, actually he played a, really well. No, he had a pretty solid game. So you're probably right because if uh, if Aaron Rodgers comes out and plays like that, I know it's crazy we're saying this, but if Aaron Rodgers comes out and plays like Justin Fields did two weeks ago or last whatever week it yeah. was. Um, we're we're gonna be impressed by him almost. It's yeah. it's gonna it's at that point. Uh, also, Rogers threw two interceptions in the red zone, which he never yeah. does. He yeah. never he's not a red zone. What was the last time he threw three in it besides for the NFC Championship game two years ago? I'm talking about regular season. What was the last time he threw three interceptions in a game? He uh, I he's done it. I think it was against the Saints in Week One last year. But that's right. Yes, yes, yes. That's right. It's only been done. He only did it four other times, I think, counting that game. So this yesterday, and then four other times he's done it. Um, I think one was in 2017, and then the other one was in was that loss to the Saints last year, and then the other two were way back. Yeah. So it's very rare for him, which I guess is you know a testament to him. Yeah. Zach Wilson threw three interceptions last week, and nobody. Yeah. Well, Zach Wilson's uh, five and one as a starter this year. Sure. I don't want to hear it. (laughs) <laughs> um, one other thing about the Green Bay Packers is it does not get easier for them. Uh, Rashad Gary is potentially out for the season with a torn ACL. Uh, well, will be out for the season with a torn ACL if it's confirmed. Uh, Christian Watson doesn't seem like he's going to come back within the next few games. Aaron Jones was seen in a walking boot after the game. Romeo Dalbs was seen in a walking boot after the game. Eric Stokes was seen after the game in a walking boot. It does not get easier. Yeah, it really, it, it does not for, for the Green Bay Packers. So if they could come back and somehow be eight and nine or nine and eight this year, I think it would just all solely rely on, on the shoulders of Aaron Rodgers and what he's able to do. But as of right now, it looks like the season's already lost for them. Three and not three and six, not getting any easier in the schedule. We're either going to have to see some vintage MVP Aaron Rodgers or just kind of chalk it up for next year. And then on the Detroit Lions side, I mean, this win doesn't change anything that I think of them. They're still disappointing. Their offense scored 15 points. Uh, you know, it, it. I mean, granted, they weren't fully healthy. They're also getting acclimated to not having TJ Hawkinson, which is a very puzzling trade to me in terms of an interdivisional trade. Uh, the second interdivisional trade that the Minnesota Vikings and Detroit Lions have made this year. Um, I, I think for the, for the Vikings, the compensation is great. I think I'm sorry, 
the Lions, I think the compensation is great. Getting a second and a third round pick and essentially potentially trading two conditional fourth round picks that probably won't turn into anything is great. If you're getting a second and a third round pick for a tight end that's not named Waller, Mark Andrews, Kyle Pitts, I mean, that's some great value there. So I like the trade for both sides because Hawkinson also did have eight catches for 90 yards in his in his debut with the Minnesota Vikings, and it's only going to get better as the season goes on. But, yeah, I mean, offensively, it, it, they looked a little bit lost. But, I mean, they're, they're still a bad team. But this is a nice win for Dan Campbell, at least. It, get, it buys him a couple more weeks, I guess, as the coach. Yeah, no, it definitely takes a lot of pressure off him. They, they needed this. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you. That they're still disappointing. They're, they're, that's why I didn't pick them because even though conventionally they could have won that game, you know, you could, you could kind of see it coming in. Um, I thought maybe they would have scored more points if they were going to win that game. But I didn't pick them because they disappointed me so much this year. Every uh, game that looks the like they should me. win. Yeah, every game that looks like they should win, they don't. Um, so, of course, they win the game where people don't really expect them to win. Um, it, it's – it's a step in the right direction for them, but I'm not really convinced yet. I think if we see them win a couple more games and they end up at something like five and eight, six and eight, or something like that, okay, you know, then that's a sign of progress. They won what is it, three or four games last year? I think three games. So you know, you'll take five or six wins, I guess, at this point. But uh, right now, they got to show it on a week to week basis. They haven't done that yet. I'm gonna say something that might sound crazy, but believe it, but believe it or not. I'll say this with the improvements that they've made this year, you know, all the hype with hard knocks and everything, the start that they had offensively, if they go six and 11 or seven and 10, I'm going to say that last year's four and 13 or three and 14 season, whatever it may be, was more impressive than this year. And the reason why is because every single loss that the Detroit Lions had last year, except for two were one score games this year. They are getting completely when they lose, they're getting completely blown out of the water. Like it's not even like it, it's just that defensively, it's it's horrendous. I, I will say that if they end up six and eleven, seven and ten, it kind of seems like a disappointment compared to what what they did last year, how hard they fought last year, and then the additions that they made to their team. But also at the flip side of it, we are getting closer to Jamison Williams making his NFL debut. And I feel like putting Jamison Williams and Amon Ross St. Brown, Jamal Williams. DeAndre Swift, Josh Reynolds, all on the same field is going to make a really big difference. So I'm very excited to see when he, I think he's aiming for a week 12 debut. I could be wrong on that, but it's going to be really interesting to see how dynamic he makes that or even more dynamic. He makes that offense, but I can't wait. That's, that's really all I'm looking for, for them. I'm looking for that. And maybe a couple wins peppered in here and there, but uh, this, this win doesn't really change too much for me other than their record. But uh, the next game was my I, I, Dan and I kind of slacked this week. I, it was a busy weekend for both of us. So we did make uh, locks of the week. We just didn't post about it. My lock of the week comes up next. It was the Minnesota Vikings and the Washington Commanders. I did lose on a push. Of course, I had the Minnesota Vikings at minus three and they won 20 to 17. Uh, I feel a little bit better at the fact that they came back and won. Uh, so that makes me feel a little bit better. But they didn't cover, but I, I was just hoping that they didn't lose. But uh, I know we want to talk about this because the Minnesota Vikings have to be the most unimpressive 7-1 and team that we've seen in, in quite some time, or at least this season, because I feel like they haven't had a convincing win, maybe besides for week one all year. Yeah, I, I give them some credit because 
I look at this team and I say, well, these are some of the games they would have lost yeah. under Mike Zimmer. I, I truly think this is the type of game they would have lost with Mike well, Zimmer. Well, Mike Zimmer is just awful. So the, the Vikings are, yeah, no, well, yeah, we'll get into that at a separate time. I, I think Mike Zimmer started off as a great coach and the game just kind of passed him by. But, um, you know, the, the Vikings are, they look very confident. I think that's why they're, they're able to win these games. They look extremely confident. You know, maybe that's kind of a curse. Maybe they need to lose a game or two just to kind of take that down a bit. Um, but they will before the end of the year. There's plenty of time left for them to be humbled a bit. Uh, but they look very confident, and that's the difference from the end of the Mike Zimmer era. Uh, yeah, they didn't really look the part in this game. Um, Kirk Cousins did not have his best day. I know he was pretty excited after the game. There's a few videos of him shirtless on the plane <laughs> heading back to Minnesota. I, you know, Actually, um, kind of weird comment. He's in better shape than I thought he was in. Yeah, no, he is. He, he he's a great right? like athlete. I didn't even know. I didn't even know. I thought it was Harrison Smith at first. I'm looking. I'm like, <laughs> that's Kirk Cousins. I'm like, geez, that's so, Daddy Kirk right there. What's yeah, going on well, here? <laughs> yeah. you know, but he didn't have his best game. I mean, it, but it might have been an emotional game for me. It was back in D.C. They were or in Landover, Maryland, where the against his former team, they were chanting, "You like that, Adam?" When the Vikings were down. Uh, to his credit, they came back and won the game. They, they, I still don't understand though how they could script a, a fir, uh, an opening drive so well. They always score on the first drive. It's always Justin Jefferson scoring the touchdown, and then they just do nothing after that. Or maybe they I, go up fourteen nothing, and then they blow it. I thought Justin Jefferson was going to have like twenty five catches for five hundred yards. The way that he, the way that he played on the first drive, he had five catches for fifty seven yards on the first drive and a touchdown. I was like, oh boy, it's going to be one of those games. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? But that's that's a good thing why they got it's a good thing why they got T.J. Hawkinson because they need another weapon in there. When uh, when when Justin Jefferson is getting covered really well, they can't just rely on a hundred year old Adam Thielen to do the rest of the work. They had no tight end. Irv Smith Jr. is really not the guy. Um, T.J. Hawkinson gives them a legitimate weapon, and Kirk Cousins went to him yesterday. I think you're going to see Kirk Cousins continue to go to him. Yeah. They can kind of diversify that offense a little bit. That's exactly what they need. That's why, even though they gave up a lot, I don't really hate that trade because you've got to stockpile those weapons and stop relying on Justin Jefferson. If there's one game where they cover him really well and they take him out of the equation, which we saw Darius Slay do uh, in that, that yeah. week two matchup, all of a sudden, you know, what are you going to do on offense? You're going to rely on Dalvin Cook the whole day? That doesn't You're looking – but I, we're looking at a legitimate offense now because, like you said, that was really just one aspect that they're missing because if you look – you have Justin Jefferson, who's second best receiver in football, maybe still the best. Then you have Adam Thielen, who's a perfectly good number two at this point in his career. He's not going to burn you downfield like he used to, but he's still going to move the sticks. And then you have a very, very solid number three wide receiver in KJ Osborne. You have Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison, who's Madison's probably one of the most underrated backup running backs in football. And now you add TJ Hawkinson and Kirk Cousins, who is the one o'clock god when it comes to football so you know you're legitimately looking at the minnesota Vi i mean i thought the minnesota vikings were going to be a playoff team this year especially after adding someone like zadarius smith who's been a fantastic addition for them this year but i mean <laughs> they're looking very very good right now and like you said confidence wise that's probably the biggest key because you look at at, at this you know their scores you're like oh these aren't legitimate victories but they are you know these are games that, like you said, with Mike Zimmer, they'd roll over and die. They're not coming back 
from being down 17 to 10 against the commanders like they were. They're, they would roll over and die. We're seeing fight. We're seeing Kirk Cousins look like – I mean, I got to pull up his stats because I know that they're pretty good this year. I mean, they're good every year for the most part. Like, he's he gets a lot of hate. He really does. Like, Oh, yeah. No, it's always been way too overblown. There's a lot of quarterbacks that – I mean, I'd have Kirk Cousins over a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL, like a lot. Like I'm talking about maybe – there might be like 13 quarterbacks that I wouldn't take, that I would take over Kirk Cousins. Yeah, I think I had him something like 12th uh, yeah. before the season. I had him ahead of uh, – a few people had an issue with me having him ahead of Kyler Murray and Derek Carr. Well um, – But it worked out. I mean, Kyler Dan, Murray. when are you ever wrong? Dan, you're <laughs> you're pretty right every time. I I, I – there are a few things on that list that ended up wrong. Russell Wilson being top ten was one of them. Hey, although, there's still time. Although interestingly, and I think I mentioned, I think I might have mentioned this on the podcast because we went into this a little bit. Russell Wilson was the one guy where nobody complained about where he was placed. Yeah. I think I had him tenth. The I think a lot of people said he was underrated. Yeah, a couple of people said he should have been ahead of Dak. Um, that was really it. He was like the one guy where nobody had any issues, and of course now he looks terrible. But uh, I, I won't. I won't go all in on Russell Wilson. They didn't play this week. They're still coming off a win in one. We'll so. leave him alone for this we'll week. He's still doing high knees on the plane. Yeah, it's not fair to him. He has, he's doing high knees on the plane, getting ready uh, for week, uh, week 10. From the commander side, I think I, I feel like it, it. we do have to talk about it a little bit. First off, they finally got rid of the cancerous William Jackson who was plaguing them the last couple of weeks. We saw our first start by a white cornerback in the NFL since Jason Seahorn. So that was cool. That was chocolate up for us, Dan. <laughs> chocolate up for us. Rare um, win. Rare win for us. Yeah, rare, rare W for us uh, these days. But and then you, I mean, you have to figure that Taylor Heineke has to be the starter for the rest of the season. I mean, he's he's the only one that moves the needle past E, like the slightest for the Commanders. Like Carson Wentz, we made a lot of excuses for him, but the offense looks that much better under Taylor Heineke. And I think that if the commanders want to stay relevant, they're not going to make the playoffs. What are they, two and six now? They're not going to make the playoffs. The playoffs are out of the question. But if you want to stay relevant and win some games, I think Heineke gives you the best opportunity to win games. The commanders are four and five. You, you sure changed them a little bit there. Whoa, I was way off on that. In fact, if they had won, which they almost did, they would be the NFC's number seven seed right now. Wow. Uh, but they I didn't was win. way off on that one. Why did they I think win. they were two and six? They, they seem win, like a two and They 16. win games where nobody's paying attention. They, they, yeah. they, you know, them beating the Bears is meaningless. Them beating the, who? So they beat the Bears. They beat the, they beat the uh, Colts. Who else? They beat the Colts. Three, uh, the, the Jaguars. Yeah, but they won three in a row. So in this win streak, I know there was one other team they beat. Um, regardless, uh, they are a very blah team. They, there's really nothing to be excited about with the Commanders right oh, now. Oh, they beat the Packers. They beat, oh, of course they beat, yes, they beat the Packers. That was a good one. So I'll give them credit for that one. Well, uh, but this is, well, well, okay. Well, it, but they came from behind. So I'll give them that. But this is a very, a very bland. Well, I apologize to Dan Snyder and his, uh, <laughs> his, uh, wonderful morals and his, uh, ethic policies. I really apologize for shortchanging your two wins there. The first ever apology made to Dan Snyder. <laughs> and we have it on record. But, no, yeah, regard, regardless, I stand by what I said and say that Taylor Heineke gives them the best opportunity to win. I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, but I also think it's not much of a chance because no. he, he has some moments where he makes throws that look really impressive. Uh, and then he has other moments where 
it, it looks like it's it's all falling apart. So <laughs> I, I, I think in that division, you know, seven and ten is probably best case scenario. Maybe six yeah. and eleven is where they end up. They could probably. I, don't, I think they're headed nowhere, nine, and that's probably it. Yeah. Moving on, the next game, I picked the Vikings. Obviously, that was my lock. Did you pick the Vikings as well, right? I did pick the Vikings. Okay. Moving on to the next game, you have two uh, disappointing teams. Well, one very, very disappointing team. And one who got a much-needed victory. You have the Las Vegas Raiders and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Again, speaking of teams that I picked, at the beginning of the week, I said, oh, Jaguars, all day long. And then at like 12.55, I had that feeling, you know what, go with the Raiders. And at the beginning of the game, I said, you know what, that was the right pick because Devontae Adams had nine catches for 146 yards and two touchdowns at halftime. And Devontae Adams finished with 10 catches for 146 yards and two touchdowns. So, uh, you know, in typical Raiders fashion, they blew it uh, yet again. They, I feel like they just got away from what was working for them. Yeah, I, 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 it's getting hard to explain. First of all, when you blow a 17-point lead or whatever it was, it feels like you, you know, everything goes wrong. I think, I think you have to blame the defense and the offense. Um, I saw a stat. They are, there have been five games where a team has blown a 17-point lead this year. Three of them are the Raiders. Wow. And two of them are the Ravens. That's it. It's the Raiders and Ravens. Uh, but at least the Ravens did it early in the year. The Raiders yeah. are constantly doing this. And I really – I don't have – much of an explanation for it, other than, yeah, they, they seem like they went away from what was working for them. Uh, I, 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 I'll never understand. Even if, even if the defense swarms a guy who dominates in the first half, I don't know how a receiver can go from that dominant in the first half to nothing at all in the second half. I don't care how well he's covered. You did something wrong by, by not throwing him in the, not either not throwing up the right plays or not throwing to him at all. And I think for the Raiders is a little bit of both because he did have a couple catches and they were they were headed nowhere. Yeah, it, what what bothers me about it is obviously credit to the Jacksonville Jaguars for making a, a defensive adjustment at halftime. But yeah, I mean, as an offensive coordinator and as an offensive minded coach, quote unquote, that Josh McDaniels is, it you have to make adjustments. You have to make adjustments. You cannot tell me that someone who had a, almost 150 yards at halftime was blanketed that much to where he can get zero yards in the second half. You can't tell me that. You cannot yeah, tell me that. The Jaguars defense, they can, the Jaguars can make all the adjustments they want. They're not good enough where you can just pin that on the defense. They're not the Jets. They're, completely they're, not, they're not what they did to Stefan Diggs. Not, no. We could say that. We could say that now. We can. <laughs> but we could say that. Do you remember what the – what? I think Matt Ryan had like 382 yards and two touchdowns against his Jaguars defense the week, uh, two weeks before he got benched. Mm -hmm. You should not be getting shut down by the Jaguars defense in the second half, especially, especially after Matt the Ryan through that yeah. almost 150 yards in the first. Uh, um, you, I let you kind of talk me out of the Jaguars last week. I know it wasn't about this game. I know it was, it was about how you picked the Broncos in London, uh, but you kind of you kind of made me think. All right, well, you know the Raiders have been pretty disappointing, but they've beaten bad teams. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take them. I'm gonna say the Jaguars are you know continue to make mistakes. Trevor Lawrence yeah. continues to make mistakes. Yeah, so you tricked me for the Falcons, and I tricked you for the Jaguars. So we're yeah. all even. Okay, we're all square. But we're all square. Travis Etienne, <laughs> though, I, I did mention him last week how he he was really dynamic. Uh, and it seemed like he was going to turn into wins eventually. And he had his third consecutive game of 100-plus rushing yards. Yeah, he's looked great. He, he looks like a legitimate weapon. 
for that team. And he, he really helped them win this game. So I'm kind of glad that, that his production turned into a win. Um, yeah. And Lawrence, Lawrence played, well. I mean, he did lose a fumble, yeah. but other than that, Lawrence, Lawrence played very well. Yeah. I have yeah, no, no, I, I have no, uh, nothing to say bad about how Trevor Lawrence played. He, I mean, it's tough when you're down 17, nothing, it's tough to come back and win and, you know, to stay confident and to lead your team drive after drive to scoring drives hats off to him. ETN and him look like a very, very sound partnership for the for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Christian Kirk had a nice game, eight catches, 76 yards, and a touchdown as well. Um, just a really nice comeback victory for the Jaguars, something that they really, really needed for sure. I, I know we don't give a lot of credit to Trevor Lawrence, but that's three weeks in a row where he's – three weeks in a row where he's shown the ability to lead a comeback. So they, they – Well, last, last week wasn't really a... – <laughs> It, but they won. They lost. Okay, he had a at the end. You know, he had some turnover issues. But he led. Um, what was it? A game tying or a game winning? A game, game go ahead drive, maybe. Yeah. And before Latavius Murray scored the touchdown, so that's what I'm getting at. Obviously, they didn't win. They were on a five game losing streak. Uh, but against the Giants, he had a, a decent uh, a decent drive. First of all, they were losing most of that game. They came back. He had a decent drive at the end of the game that ended at the one yard line. They, the Jaguars mm-hmm. ran out of time, but he yeah. made some throws. Um, and then last week he he leads the Jaguars down the field. I believe they took the lead. Uh, he led the Jaguars down the field. Great uh, go ahead drive in London where the jet, the defense ended up blowing it. Uh, and then this week he ends up leading a, a seventeen point comeback. So we're we're starting to see some grit from Trevor Lawrence. I kind of like that. These are this is not what we saw last year. So I'm going to give him and the Jaguars some credit. I think it's a good sign for the future. I, I, I'm going to make a, a completely shocking statement right now. And I'm going to have to agree with you. I'm going to have to agree with what you said, because this, I mean, last week left a bad taste in my mouth when it comes to Trevor Lawrence, because, you know, besides for the game tying driver, go ahead, drive first pass attempt. He makes on a, on a game winning drive opportunity, throws an interception. Didn't play that great against a, a Denver Broncos defense that has played really, really well, but has disappointed in areas like that. This year, this week, it, it shows real growth of a, a, a young franchise quarterback to completely forget about the same scenario that you were in the week prior and then go out and do it the week after. So to go out and lead his team to victory after being down 17 nothing, hats off to Trevor Lawrence. And I'm, I'm really excited for what Etienne has been bringing to that offense as well. So hats off to them. Um, I'm sure by next year, Josh McDaniels will be the offensive coordinator of the New England Patriots again. <laughs> Uh, it's not looking good, uh, but to be fair, and I got a lot of shit for this before the season. I said that this is a less impressive roster that the Raiders have than last year. And they added Devonte Adams and Chandler Jones. And a lot of people said that that's ridiculous. Well, you know, I'm proving to be a little bit right right now, because besides for really those two areas and really Devonte Adams has, even though he's played well, he has underperformed for the price tag. So far, but well, but been, so has Derek Carr. Yeah, he's been too inconsistent. He has those weeks where he has. I mean, like, forget about the second half. You look at yesterday's game; it's a good game. One hundred and forty-six yards, uh, two touchdowns. But he's he does this one week, and the next week he has thirteen yards. Yeah, that's the issue. Last week he had three yards. <laughs> three that's yards. He's got it. If he could do it more consistently, they'd be great. But he can't do it. At least not yet. Yeah, and I mean. I think I said it last week, or I definitely said it in my my um, week eight mock draft video. 
I do not expect Derek Carr to be on the Raiders next year. They have an out for his contract. He has not performed up to that contract. Granted, a lot of quarterbacks that are making a lot of money like Derek Carr have not performed this year either. But on the contrary, if you could trade or cut Derek Carr for a $5 million cap hit when he's due $40 million next year, I think you have to pull the trigger on it. Yeah. Because that's your only out. Then you're the next three years, you're paying him $40 million. And I don't think that Derek Carr is a $40 million quarterback. And any at his best, I don't think he's a $40 million quarterback. So I think that we're seeing whatever window the Raiders had of making the playoffs again is firmly over for quite some time. And I, I think, you know, it's a conversation for the offseason, but the, I guess the question in that case would be, who do they go with? You know, who, what quarterback is out there? It's not going to be a rookie. So Keep losing. Keep losing. Oh, you know, actually, that's true. If you keep losing, maybe it is a rookie. Uh, I, I kind of I kind of find it hard to believe that they're going to finish ahead in the draft order of the Texans and Panthers, but listen, there was you never know. consecutive weeks where the, the Raiders had the number one overall pick. Yeah, you never know. You never know. Yeah. But I, I will say the Raiders were my lock of the week. Um, by, I think it was by one and a half or two and a half. It doesn't matter because they lost. Uh, so with that, that, that was a miss. But we're always no, we're, we're, we're for both of us. Yeah. Um, well, look, Dan, it doesn't count. We never posted about it. Oh, so we could, right. forget, we could just forget about it. I'll it was a practice that. week. That's good with me. <laughs> you know, it was funny. Yesterday, I, I, was at, I was painting my bedroom and I stopped and I went, we never made a graphic for lock of the week. And I, and I just went, that's eh, all right. <laughs> just kept going. I know you were working and, and you know, we were both very busy, but yeah. moving on to the next game. Now we have the Miami dolphins and the Chicago bears. Now is credit due two weeks in a row to Justin Fields. And I'm going to answer my own question and say, absolutely positively undoubtedly Justin Fields had the best game of his pro career yesterday. Now, granted it was against a really, really bad secondary. It was against a bad an underperforming Miami dolphins defense up until this point. Listen, what do you have? hundred and yeah, like he didn't have many passing yards. I think it was like 115 or something, something yeah, close to that. He had like 130 something, something, but he three, had three passing touchdowns. touchdowns, three passing touchdowns, the most rushing yards in a, in a regular season game by an NFL quarterback. Since 1940, that's impressive. That's, that's impressive. extremely impressive. More yards so, than Lamar Jackson's ever had in a game on the ground. Mike More Vick. More yards than Cam Newton's ever had in a game on the ground. More yards than Michael Vick. I know that it's self-explanatory by the stat, but when you start explaining it like that, that's what stands out to me. That yeah. He had more yards than any of those guys ever did in a game. And now he's on pace for, I think it's a, 11, a little over 1,100 rushing yards on the year, which would put him second all time for quarterback behind Lamar Jackson. And we, you know, we joked about it a couple of weeks ago when the, when they dominated the Patriots and they, they essentially came out with a new game plan where it was, let's take the ball out of Justin Fields throwing arm as much as possible. Because you know, when you do that, I'm not even trying to sound funny. When you do that, it really, really does create play action opportunities. And we've seen that the last three weeks, when Justin Fields, I'm pretty sure, has thrown the ball less than 25 times easily the last three weeks. But at the same time, by taking the ball out of his throwing hand, you're doing your offense a, a service by creating those, those open play-action passes. I mean, he's been exceptional. The last few weeks, 
he uh, he <laughs> he's looked like the second best quarterback from that draft last. I'm gonna I'll I'll still give the nod to Trevor Lawrence because he has played pretty well this year despite the turnover issues. He's put his team in more positions to win than any other quarterback from that draft class. But Justin Fields has looked spectacular, and honestly, there is a real path to victory every single week if they stick to this game plan. The only reason why they didn't win is because the connections between Jalen Waddle and Tua and Tyreek Hill and Tua are too strong. Uh, flipping it over to the Miami Dolphins side, Tua Tagovailoa has been, for me, the most impressive quarterback in the NFL this year. I know that might sound crazy, but for all the hate that he got and everything before the season started, for him to come out and perform week in and week out like he has, yeah, sure, sure. He has Tyreek Hill. He has Jalen Waddell. He has Mike Gusecki. Sure. But you know what? If he was underperforming with those guys, we'd be saying the same thing. Oh, well, he's he's playing terribly. You have to give credit where credit is due. He's looked fantastic this year. Tyreek Hill is on pace for like 2,300 yards this year. He's I, he's on pace to break that record. Yeah, he shatter might. it. And he's, and he's on pace to shatter it before 16 games, which is insane. He's he's over eleven 1, hundred yards already. Nobody else yeah. has hit a thousand. I don't even. I don't think anybody else has hit nine hundred. I don't he's think so. I, I think Cup might be close after last week. After yesterday, but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm. I know this is not my biggest takeaway from this game, but I'm. Tyreek Hill is playing like a, a legitimate Hall of Famer. Like I feel like this is such a huge year for his legacy now. Yeah. Because of you know, listen, me and you understand that he was a great player before Miami. But you could always have doubters who could say, oh, well, you know, he's in the Patrick Mahomes system. He's benefiting from that. Um, you know, wouldn't be as good in another system. He's he's proven that he's kind of a – he looks like a generational receiver right yeah. now. And I know it's not going to last forever because these speed guys uh, have shorter shelf lives than guys who are just big and powerful. But he's he's looking like a Hall of Famer. If anything keeps him out, it's going to be the off-field issues. But I don't even think that would. He's he's legitimately. I think he's he's one of the storylines of the of later in the season is going to be his chase for that record because if he stays healthy, I mean, there's no reason why he shouldn't make a run at that record. You know, I'm gonna have to agree and somewhat disagree with you at the same time because I think Tyreek Hill is on that freak athlete level where I don't even even if his speed diminishes, he still has for a, a smaller guy, he still has the power. And the catch and traffic ability to just be a weapon throughout his entire career. I mean, and I don't really see his speed diminishing that much. And even if it does, I'll still put him up against any other player in the NFL to see it, how how fast he is because he is absolutely electric. And the, the biggest part about it for me is we're not seeing as many explosive 50-plus yard plays out of Tyreek Hill that we were seeing last year. He's more of a complete receiver this year to where he's catching the ball underneath or in the, the intermediate range and, and making more plays out of it. Like if, I mean, when you have Patrick Mahomes throwing you, you could easily run 60 yards downfield and, and, and just go, you know what, I'm just going to throw it up and you run under it. And I'm not saying that you can't do that with Tua, but it's a different offense. And the fact that he's adapted so quickly to this offense and he's kind of molded his game more of as just a deep threat that basically just runs past everyone to a guy that could do a little bit of everything in in a snap he's the best receiver in football i don't think yeah, there's yeah. any argument I, I really think i really think for all those reasons that's why this is such an important year for his legacy because he does have a legacy now i mean if he he might be a record holder and he's he's got a championship um you know and he's one of the best receivers in football if not the best 
this year, though, he's proven that he's more than just some guy who's going to outrun everybody, um, you know, and burn defenders and catch a great pass from Patrick Mahomes. He's upgraded the Dolphins offense so much, and that doesn't take away credit from Tua, but he's upgraded the offense so much for everybody that I, I, I think this 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 year is like the defining year of his career. Yeah. Um, and, you know, covering all the bases in this game, yeah, I'm kind of kind of shocked that Justin Fields is starting to look like an NFL quarterback. It's not what I expected. I think it's not what you expected. Uh, but he he legitimately looks like um, looks like he belongs on this stage. Yeah. And let's remember well, everything we said about the Bears not having weapons and not having a great it's offense. Still accurate. Line, it's still accurate. It's still true. You know, he's still this still is not some great team built around him. He could use so many more weapons. Chase Claypool, you know, does not solve all the issues that they have. Um, I'm so I, mad about that trade. <laughs> it, it, to be honest, it, I, don't, I don't think they should have traded a second round pick for as him. as a, a draft guy. It kind of made me throw up in my mouth a little bit seeing the return that they got yeah. for Roquan Smith, and then just turning a complete 180 and undoing it. Not only not trading the Ravens' second round pick, which is going to be further back than yours, trading their original second round pick, which is going to be higher. It made me throw up in my mouth a little bit, considering that you're you're taking you're you're wasting. I'm not saying I shouldn't say wasting. You're trading a highly valued second round pick for a receiver that you're banking on his potential and the fact that he's besides for a four touchdown game two years ago, he's kind of been disappointing since then. Yeah, it's uh, they they clearly see something that a lot of people don't. Well, two you know, catches for 13 yards in his first game against a very porous Miami Dolphins secondary isn't really. Yeah, I mean we'll give him. Great. We'll give him time to get acclimated, but nah, no. But they, no I, clearly, they they're confident in uh, in in the fact that he won't be an, an off field issue because I think that's what the Steelers no, have yeah, some problems with. Yeah. You know, that's a risk. Um, and then they think that the rookie year Chase Claypool, who looked like he would be one of the game's most powerful receivers, you know, with his between his size and his his ability. Uh, clearly they think he can turn into a, a top flight receiver, you know, whether that, whether that happens or not, I think it's too risky to trade the second round pick, but um, you know, I guess they're that, they're that desperate for weapons. If they were though, they should have went out and gotten something before the season yeah. uh, and given Justin Fields more of a chance then, but not the, you know, not the biggest deal. Um, I, I think though that the bears offense has found something. They clearly, they, now they know that they need to run this football. Uh, yes. You know, Fields can pass a little bit, and he deserves to throw the ball a little bit after what he's shown the last couple of weeks. But clearly, running the ball is what what gets them, uh, what gives them a chance to win. So, give it to Justin Fields, give it to Khalil Her- Herbert, even David Montgomery. Let them run, uh, and just try to win, salvage the season, win games that way. They're not a playoff team, but they can really build toward the future if they win it. If they keep doing what they're doing and run that ball. Yep, I'm gonna have to agree with you there. I did pick the Miami Dolphins. I'm sweating it out a little bit. Uh, and you, I'm assuming you picked them as I well. Picked the Dolphins. I had the Bears going three and fourteen this year, and so I'm just Which is still a possibility. <laughs> that's that's exactly what I'm saying. I'm still glad that they have not gotten to that fourth win yet. Because if they got to that fourth win, uh, of course the Bears look better than I expected. But at least I can say when they get to the fourth win, well, it took them until the middle of November or even later than that. So we're still <laughs> we're still working with the with my prediction could be correct. Moving on to the, I mean, this was the. Uh, did anyone watch this football game? No. Uh, yeah, the, the, New England, the New England Patriots and the Indianapolis Colts, twenty-six to three. The Indianapolis Colts have one of the ugliest offenses I've ever seen 
especially with Sam Ellinger as quarterback. I'm not going to lie. I expected better things from a Sam Ellinger-led offense, believe it or not, because I thought they were just going to let him go out there and just throw it. And we have not seen that at all. I mean, they, they were stymie on the ground, in the air. I mean, what would you expect, though? A Bill Belichick-led defense against some guy making his second career start? This, should have, on, this honestly should have been our lock of the week. It should have been our lock of yeah. the week. Yeah, it probably should uh, have been. Yeah, I don't know why I compl- I mean, I think the spread kind of scared me. I think I think it was like New England minus six or something, so yeah. it kind of scared me a little bit. But um, Ramondre Stevenson continues to look like uh, the lead back of that you know that backfield. I know it's 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 treachery with four running backs, but he's gotten the most touches. He looks the most dynamic out of everyone. Mac Jones did what Mac Jones does: perfect game manager to to an easy win. Defensively, the New England Patriots played fantastic, and you know the Indianapolis Colts should just continue to lose so they can get a good first round pick. That's really the only takeaways I have from this game. Yeah, I mean they were the Patriots were the better team, and they were the better prepared team. Obviously, mm-hmm. that it's exactly that that Bill Belichick and, and his defense uh, fare so well against these young quarterbacks that yeah, we almost should have expected this to turn into a complete blowout, no matter what the Patriots offense did. Uh, Sam Ellinger was sacked nine times. Nine times. Matt Matt Judon and uh, Josh Uche both had three sacks each. I mean, they they toyed with that offensive line. So you're not going to win. You're not going to win games. Doesn't matter if Matt Ryan's the quarterback, Sam Ellinger, Nick Foles. Thank God Matt Ryan wasn't the quarterback because he'd probably be dead. He'd probably be dead. Yeah. So he he's lucky. He's he's lucky. He's not back there. Sam Ellinger is taking a beating right now, and it doesn't look like it's going to change anytime soon. Yeah. Uh, and. Now, moving on. And you know what? You know what makes me so happy about this is because I feel like we talk like this almost every week about the Jets. I feel like I'm just so excited. I, I've never been maybe, well, since since 2015, I haven't been excited to talk about the Jets week in and week out like I am now. Now, I'm not going to fangirl too much because, you know, it, 20 to 17 doesn't look impressive. But holding first thing I want to say. Holding Josh Allen to not throwing a touchdown pass, first off, because every every game this year he's thrown at least two touchdown passes. The Jets, did, yeah, he had two rushing touchdowns, but we're not talking about total touchdowns here, okay? We're talking about passing touchdowns. Josh Allen, two interceptions, uh, two rushing touchdowns. He didn't look – he really didn't look comfortable throwing the football all day. Besides for really the first pass of the game that went 42 yards to Stephon Diggs, on a little bit of a cross-up between Jordan Whitehead and, and Sauce Gardner, he really didn't look comfortable. And that could be – it could be attested by the two interceptions that he threw. Josh Allen the, – the New York Jets defense completely confused Josh Allen with their coverage because if you look at those two interceptions, there wasn't – I mean, yeah, the first one there was a receiver in the area, but it was right to Jordan Whitehead. The second – Sauce Gardner, there was not a wide receiver within a mile of him. They, continu- they continuously confused – the Bills offense all game. They got pressure when they needed to. Bryce Huff, I mean, this is a guy, an unsung hero for the Jets. Bryce Huff has the highest pass rush win percentage of any edge rusher in the NFL this year. And I know it's it's a significantly smaller sample size, but that should be even more impressive that he's not playing every single snap and he's still getting pressure almost every single snap. I mean, that... He that strip sack of Josh Allen that took them way out of range to con- to convert that that fourth down was I know it was the second to last play of the game, but it was probably the biggest play of the game. Yeah, 
100%. Uh, I think the biggest, the biggest reason for the win here, let's just look at the interceptions. Two for Allen, none for Wilson. When Zach Wilson doesn't turn over the ball, good things happen. And this is exactly what they talked about last week. The Jets probably would have won that game if Zach Wilson, if we won the turnover battle. Yeah. Obviously, the pick six. They definitely would have won that game. If yeah. They, obviously, the Mac Jones pick six would have uh, helped if they if that had stood. Um, but then, the, you know, Zach Wilson, three interceptions. And then they came out after the game. And Joe Douglas said, without naming names, pretty much, that we all have to do a better job of taking care of the football. We know exactly who he was talking about. And he's not wrong, though. And sure enough, no interceptions this week. And they win by three. That it's it's if if I, I losing Brees Hall hurts. It still hurts. But if you can run the ball, uh, and Zach Wilson doesn't turn the ball over, the Jets are going to win most games. I truly feel confident in that with the way that this defense is playing. My um, the other thing that I think we should be most excited about is Zach Wilson to Garrett Wilson. The connection is finally well established. Yeah. So when when you know when Flacco was in there. He developed a great connection with Garrett Wilson. Big reason why they won that Browns game. Uh, and then Zach Wilson, it took him a few weeks to actually start really regularly throwing to Garrett Wilson. And all of a sudden now, he's finding him. And some of those throws to him were lasers, too. They were really yeah. great throws, tight windows. Um, it was it was impressive. And so I think the fact that Garrett Wilson is now back, like cemented himself as that number one receiver in the offense yeah. is huge for the Jets. They've got that number one weapon. Um, I mean, 42 catches, 521 yards, two touchdowns so far this year for Garrett Wilson. Uh, like you said, the connection is is there now. Zach Wilson is not going to blow you off the page. Is not going to blow you off the page with his stats. I mean, 18 to 25 was 154 yards a touchdown. Quarterback rating over 100. QBR 76. That's a big thing as well, especially QBR because that is a very misleading stat. Um, QBR 76. Played very well, took care of the football. 34 rushes for 174 yards is another big thing, too. Or I think it was 31 rushes, whatever it may be. Um, 5.1 yards per carry without Brees Hall. This is a team that the last couple weeks was kind of struggling to run the football without Brees Hall. Now you get Michael Carter in space. James Robinson is sort of kind of coming around, being acclimated after. I mean, last week was a tough matchup in your first week, you know, against. It, he played against the Patriots, right? Or no? Yeah. Yeah. Uh- I feel like he didn't. I think he did, but no, it wasn't did. that many. He did. Yeah. He played. He just played limited. He he had. Yeah. Five no, I mean, that's a really tough first assignment against the Patriots. And the Bills are a tough assignment too. But you know, his his stats don't jump off the page. But one thing is that he did have a touchdown. He had a receiving touchdown as well, which really really turned the tide for the game, tied the game up at seventeen. I mean, far and away, regardless of any other win that the Jets have this year, this is their most impressive win, and it's a, oh, yeah. it's a statement win. It's a statement win, too, saying, you know what? The Jets could have easily came into this game at 5-3 and three and lost 48 to nothing. Easily. Easily could have happened. But they didn't. This is a new-look Jets team. I think this was the – Dan, I really think that this was the test for the Jets if they are legitimate or not. And I still don't think that they are legitimate, but I think that they are much, much improved because this is a team that if they were 5-3 and three last year and they went to go play the Bills, they would have lost by 50. So, you know, oh, this yeah. – yeah, and and we're really seeing a, a difference. And the pass rush finally coming through week in and week out for the Jets. The secondary, I mean, DJ. We talk about Sauce Gardner. DJ Reed has been fantastic this year. I know he had, he had a little bit of a rocky first half against Stephon Diggs. Who doesn't? 
Who doesn't? Stefan Diggs, one of the best receivers in football. Yeah, even even Foss had a, a little bit of an issue against Diggs that first play of the game. That was a little bit what 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 I read was that 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 was a miscommunication on safety help over the top. Mm-hmm. That's what I read. Yeah, I don't know how true that is, but since I love Sauce Gardner, I'm going to say that that's true. <laughs> uh, so yeah, but after that, I mean, it, that doesn't even erase how good he was because after that he was uh, he was all over. And that last play of the game, I know fourth and twenty one or whatever it was, is hard to convert regardless. But his coverage on that last play of the game by the Bills. Uh, is the reason why Josh Allen's a pretty great throw. Didn't Josh Allen play. also threw that ball like 75 yards in the air. Like That was like an insane throw. <laughs> yeah, the the airtime on that throw was ridiculous. That's what Josh Allen can do. But no, Sauce Gardner is I, – I know I've said it week in and week out, but you don't see rookie corners play like this. You just don't. No. They don't – it usually takes a year for them to come into their own. Look at Pat Sertan. He had a, a solid rookie year. And this year, he's starting to play like a pro bowl and maybe an all pro. I think I, I honestly think he's the best cornerback in football. I know that might sound crazy, but considering the way that we've seen the best cornerbacks in football play this year, I think Pat yeah. Sertan is the best quarter, cornerback in football. And then oh, I yeah, think I mean, Scott Gardner is the second best cornerback I mean, there's in a reason, There's a reason why the Broncos defense – the Broncos defense – I should say there's a reason why they're in these games despite that mm-hmm. awful offense – the defense is legit, and Pat Sertan's the biggest reason. But Sauce Gardner is going to be right up there with them. Yes, absolutely. Coming into coming into next year, you know, when when I do those rankings, um, it, it's just it's really not something you see from a rookie corner. Uh, but look at this win; it proves a lot for the Jets. But when you look at the math, it's a big deal. Winning a game yep. that you're not supposed to win, you know, it, it, it's gigantic for the playoff race. And you look at their schedule down the stretch. Uh, now they're still only in a playoff spot by one game because the Patriots are five and four and they're out of a playoff spot. The Bengals are five and four; they're out of a playoff spot. It's not easy to get to the playoffs, but it would have been a lot more difficult if they were five and four. Um, look at the schedule, though. They play the. I'm not saying they win all these games, but they play the Bears, they play the Lions, they play the Jaguars, they play the Seahawks, who are good, but they're beatable, mm-hmm. um, especially with the the way the Jets' defense is playing. Um, you know, the only game where you, you really feel intimidated down the stretch is going to Buffalo. And I understand I'm going you to feel intimidated after this, but I don't think they're beating the Bills twice in the, in the season. It's very hard to beat any team twice in the listen, season. Listen, if the Jets beat the Bills in Buffalo, the Jets are winning the Super Bowl this year. That's yeah, it. Yeah. Well, they, that's officially the last hurdle they have to clear to prove themselves. If, if they do that, I'm all, I'm, I, I guess I'm already all in. But if they do that, I'm, I'm beyond all in. Uh, but – we're also looking at, I think with this game, oh, wow. Oh, the Colts just fired Frank Reich. Did they? I knew it was coming. I, I, they were pretty insistent, though, that he was not – that he was he was safe. You know, that's three weeks in a row that they've made a big change, and it's not working yeah. for them yet. They fired uh, offensive coordinator Marcus Brady last week, and they benched Matt Ryan the week before. And, um, you know, I, I think the issue is, is – Goes beyond one guy. Can I read you? Um, can I read you this real quick? The top top QBRs of the week. Yes, entertainment. I'll here. post this. Now this <laughs> this is a list that I would would have never seen. So this is top ten, right? I'm going to go from bottom to top. Okay. So at number ten, we got Patrick Mahomes at seventy one point four. At number nine, you got Justin Herbert, Jay Herbo. At 74.3. You had Jalen Hurts at 8, 75.8. Mm-hmm. Geno Smith, 76.3. Zach Wilson, 
76.4. Tua Tagovailoa, 81.4. Joe Burrow, 81.7. Baker Mayfield, which I don't count because that was garbage time. So top two. Okay? You ready for this one? Right. Top two. Trevor Lawrence comes in at two at 84.4. And at number one, at 95.4 QBR, is Justin Fields. That's not not at all what I expected. I mean, and then the coming I mean, in, you know, coming into this, and then we'll talk about bottom five. You have Mac Jones, Jared Goff, Aaron Rodgers, Sam Ellinger, Malik Willis. But I mean, that that's incredible. That's it's a great list to see, especially considering how much crap the last year's draft class has gotten. That three of those quarterbacks. Are in the top ten, top set, top seven, really, top six, actually. So that's nice to see, a nice win. But regardless, the Jets are the upset of the week, as five percent of people on ESPN picked them uh, to win. I, for once, was not one of them. But moving on to another very, very surprising team this year, you have the Seattle Seahawks at six and three, and a very disappointing Arizona Cardinals team. Now, I mean, Cliff Kingsbury's seat has to be hotter than Satan's ass right now. It, yeah. it, it has he's, to be. He's going to be the next to go after uh, after Frank Reich. I would have had Cliff Kingsbury before Frank Reich, but there's no way that he's still their coach come, uh, let's say, the middle of January. Sitting at three and six, the Arizona Cardinals, you know, uh, losing twice to the Seattle Seahawks. They're just Their offense just looks lost. They have no running game whatsoever. I mean, one good week from Eno Benjamin has turned into nothing since then. No running game. Kyler Murray shows flashes of elite throws every once in a while, but he's getting paid like an elite an elite quarterback. I mean, we're beating a dead horse here. We've yeah. been saying it for since the season even started that we thought that Kyler Murray was getting way overpaid. That's exactly what happened. Uh, three and six. The defense doesn't look great. They have way too many holes on the offensive line as well. We're, I mean, we're looking at a team that they're – Basically, their entire offensive line is free agents after this year. DJ Humphreys is the only lineman that is under contract next year, and it's a bad old line. Don't get me wrong. DJ Humphreys at left tackle. You have Rodney Hudson, who's been one of the better centers in his career. He's a free agent, probably going to retire. Kelvin Beecham, who is somehow still playing in the NFL, is the right tackle at 34 years old. I mean, we're looking at a team that is – Huh? Jets legend. Jets legend, Kelvin Beecham. it's just not getting any – it's not going to get better before it gets worse. That's the thing. That's And, and you know, now you're you're tied. You've given Kyler Murray all of this money. Cliff, can, I'm not worried about giving extensions to coaches and GMs because those guys, let's get rid of them. You know what I mean? Like, just get rid of them. I mean, you're not paying a coach $50 million like you're paying Kyle, Kyler Murray. Yeah, they, you know? they usually don't – extensions usually don't stand in the way when, when yeah. a move needs to yeah. be made. But, you know, despite how handsome Cliff Kingsbury is, that's all he really brings to the sideline of the Arizona Cardinals. I've never seen someone get so many excuses for being as bad as he's been in his tenure in Arizona. He's He's been terrible. Does he for get excuses, what? though? I feel, like he's, I feel like he's the target of a lot of criticism. And well, rightfully he so. But <laughs> he's, he's rightfully the target of a lot of criticism. But I don't know if it feels like he's, um, if he's like, praised for anything ever. No, I, I don't think he ever gets I, – I really don't. I've never seen him get praised for something. I, I don't – but on the other side of the ball, Pete Carroll, uh, the oldest coach in the NFL by a few years, uh, who also 
has the energy of <laughs> like the youngest coach in the NFL. He's awesome. Uh, he continues to solidify himself as a, as a firm candidate for coach of the year, taking this Geno yeah. Smith led Seattle Seahawks team two, six and three up until this point. And Geno Smith is a pro bowl quarterback, whether we like it or not. And yes, he is. He absolutely is. He's been playing great. And Kenneth Walker, I mean, granted, listen, I'll say this. As a Jet fan, I think Brees Hall was running away with the offensive rookie of the year before he, you know, tore his ACL. Kenneth Walker has been one of the most consistent players in the NFL since he's gotten the opportunity to start. He has been fantastic so far for the Seattle Seahawks. And I think that he is running away with the offensive rookie of the year so far. Another game, 125 yards, two touchdowns, basically the catalyst for most of the scoring. The passing was okay. It wasn't anything to write home about, but Ken Walker basically sealing the game with two fourth quarter touchdowns. He's been fantastic. And the Seattle Seahawks are are six and three and continuing to cement the top of the NFC West. Yeah. I had somebody in the comments. I posted about that game. I had somebody in the comments saying, well, you know, it's a tough schedule down the stretch and it doesn't really benefit them to win. It's like, they're six and three. They're leading the division. Of course, it benefits them to win. Forget the draft pick at this point. First of all, they have the Broncos pick. And that's coming from me, someone who loves the draft. Right. They have the they Broncos pick anyway. So I don't really see the thing, the issue here. Yeah. But there, it's, it amazes me how many uh, non believers there still are yeah. in the Seahawks team. I don't know how many weeks it's going to take Geno Smith to play like this uh, to prove that, that this team is serious. I don't even think it's Geno Smith. I think we're just waiting. There are people just waiting for the defense to collapse. And Kobe Bryant, RIP, and Tariq Woolen have been some of the best rookie cornerbacks in the NFL. Yeah, they had, I mean, a, they had a, a phenomenal draft. Yeah. A really yeah, great draft. That's probably going to help the franchise for the next 10 years with all the yeah. guys they got. Yeah, absolutely. And we're looking – I mean – we're looking at a guy who was picked in, in the fifth round with potential first round value in Tariq Woolen. Why he fell, I have no idea. You got four two speed from a six four, two hundred and fifteen pound cornerback. Sign me up. I don't even care if he knows how to play the position. He's got all the attributes to play the position. And that's all that matters. But that was really the problem as um someone who converted from a wide receiver to a cornerback in college. The issue was always can he put it all together? He's got all the tools. Can he put it all together? Well, I think it's safe to say through nine games in his NFL career, he's absolutely put it together. That's a steal in the fifth round. The Seattle Seahawks look better without Russell Wilson than they did with him, which is shockingly enough. But I'm more impressed with the defensive side than the offensive side. They this is a this was a defensive unit that didn't look inspiring at all. I mean, you had you're bringing in. 33-year-old Shelby Harris, you have 35-year-old Al Woods in the middle of the, the defense. It didn't look good from the look of it on paper, but everyone's playing exceptional right now. And obviously that's going to, it's, you know, not everyone's going to be playing amazing every single game, but we have to look look at it for what it is. And the Seattle Seahawks are 6-3 and three with no signs of slowing down so far. And the, the Cardinals are headed nowhere. They're officially they're headed nowhere. Four and five, they'd be in it. Three and six, uh, they look done. And that's why I'm so confident that Cliff Kingsbury's done as well. I, I think whether it's midseason or whether it's at the end of the year, and I probably guess maybe at the end of the year, but um, I just I don't see how he survives that. And then I think Steve Kime, the GM, who's been there for way too long, uh, he's also another guy who's at risk after that. Um, you know, 
the the whole you mentioned all the free agents on the offensive line. Mm-hmm. I feel like a big storyline in the offseason is going to be where do they go after this? There, there's so many issues on the roster, and then their top receiver is 30 years old, and DeAndre Hopkins. They've got that huge Kyler Murray contract. Um, they have a, a few young pieces on the defense, but they they really don't have enough. Their top pass rusher is 33 year old JJ Watt, who's on his last legs. Uh, it looks like a, just a poorly constructed roster led by a yeah. quarterback and a coach who aren't good enough. And, you know, where you go from there, I'm not sure. But I think it's going to start with a, a, a regime change, whether that's now or at the end of the year, probably at the end of the year. I agree. Well, also, I'm biased because I don't like anyone in that front office in Arizona. So be gone with them. Moving on to the next game, I mean, if you would have told me that the rematch of the NFC Championship game would end 16-13, to if you told me that last year, I would have told you that you're crazy. These were two teams that were firing on all cylinders offensively and defensively. It was a fantastic battle. And now we have two of the most disappointing teams in the NFL. With the, I mean, the Rams are horrible. Like, let's just call it for what it is. The Rams are atrocious. The Matthew Stafford had 165 passing yards yesterday. 127 of them went to Cooper Cup. This team wouldn't score a point if Cooper Cup was ever out injured yeah. at this at this season. They would not score a point. It is it's crazy how I mean, I guess that's just a testament to how good Cooper Cup is as well. To to being like you know that NFL defenses know that he's the only source of offense and he still consistently gets open every single time. Um of course, we saw a vintage Brady comeback. It was, I, I'm going to say, it was nice to see that. I, I, all the crap that Tom Brady has gone through this year and all the, you know, all the crap he's heard of, oh, he's finished. He should have never came back. I know it wasn't the greatest game, but he did have a vintage comeback. And in this garbage division that he is a part of, he is going to be in it for the entire year. Yeah. And, that's just the fact of the matter. The, the, I, I said it with the Green Bay Packers. I'm going to say it with the Los, An- Los Angeles Rams. They're done. The Los Angeles Rams are done with a very bleak future because they have a lot of money tied into a very few players and no draft picks. And they wanted to give up two first-round picks for Brian Burns. I mean, what are we doing here? Well, maybe the fact that the Panthers rejected that, which maybe the Panthers shouldn't have, as good as Brian Burns is, Maybe the fact that they rejected that is just a sign from above to the Rams. Stop trading your picks and just just start drafting guys. You need to start drafting players. I think the reason why the Panthers didn't pick it up, though, is I legitimately think that those picks were for 2026 and 2027. I legitimately think that's why. Yeah, you're probably right. Um, Yeah, It's not going to help them in the immediate future. I wouldn't make that trade either. The end of that game for the Rams, I, I can't even explain it. And you know what? I say... And this is not really something I'd usually say. Good for Jalen Ramsey for calling out the yeah. offense. Yeah. He said we shouldn't have been on the field on the, at the end of the game. And you know what? They shouldn't have. Not, not because the, Ram, the Rams needed to convert on that last drive of the game, but because they needed to convert somewhere. They, they did nothing in the second half. They looked like the Titans, uh, like the Titans looked on, on offense in the second half last night. And from the Titans, maybe that's acceptable. For Matthew Stafford, unacceptable. Yeah. Um, and I, the, the stat, I, I don't know the exact, maybe you can look up Matthew Stafford's yardage from yesterday. but 165 Cup, yards. And Cooper Cup had 112 of those. 127. So, 
127. Oh, that's right. At the end of the game. Okay. So Matthew Stafford threw how many yards to guys not named Cooper Cup? 38? Something like that. That's incredible. That's incredible. And that's a big problem. And, you know, yes, it says a lot about Cooper Cup, but it also says a lot about uh, the lack of options in that offense. Or And if it's not lack of options, it's the way that they use them. You know, that was yeah, just I mean, poorly, it was a poorly coached game all around. There was really no reason that the it's not even the offense um, that should have held on to the ball at the end. It's the clock management. They they probably could have kept that ball out of Tampa's hands, uh, but they were they were just they were they weren't good enough. They didn't run it well poopy. enough. They just, didn't they just it. say it. They were poopy. That's it. Yeah, it, it was the, the whole thing. The whole it. thing was a mess. Yeah. I, and except I don't even want. I don't want to blame the defense, but I kind of have to blame the defense a little bit because the 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 way they were set up on that last drive was listen very confusing. Listen, Dan, I don't know how familiar you are with coverages. That was legitimately the worst. 15 yards away from the end zone, that's legitimately the worst coverage that you could run in that situation. That was like the reverse Greg Williams. Do you remember the Greg Williams yeah. game that got him fired? Where of course. He had everybody up front, and then, like, so, you know, Henry Ruggs got to just run free down there. Now, this is well, the other way around. The Buccaneers yeah. had all, the whole field in front of them except for, you know, toward the end zone, and they were able to just move right up. Yeah, I mean, playing soft coverage uh, in a game-winning drive against Tom Brady is probably not the way to win a football game. No. Uh, and, I mean, he's had, like, 712 fourth-quarter drives where he won the game. I don't know when teams are going to learn. Maybe when he, you know, is in a wheelchair and is still throwing the ball when at 56 years old. Maybe that's when teams will realize it. But yeah, no, not the way to win. I mean, the Rams. I know, the Rams, like, I, I, to put it to put it in layman's terms, the Rams are up Shit's Creek without a paddle. That's basically what it is. They they have no future whatsoever. They want to granted. If this was the Jets, I wouldn't care because we already won a Super Bowl. You know what I mean? Right. But your future is just – it's legitimate bleakness. There's no offensive line. There's no money. The, the, no draft picks. What are you going to do? For the next five years, the Rams are going to be this. This is what the Rams are going to be. So I hope you guys enjoy watching the Rams like this because this is what they're going to be for the next five years. With the talent they have, though, they should be better. They should not be three and five. I mean, look at some of the look at the Seahawks. They're six and three. The Seahawks don't have a more talented roster than the Rams, even though there are some uh, areas on the roster that are surprising us. The yeah. Ram the Rams should definitively be better than three and five. Um, and you know, it's really too bad that they're not making the changes necessary because there are some there are issues on the offense. That they could probably work out. I'm sure there's a way to get Allen Robinson more involved and guys like that. Um, but they just they don't look well coached right now, which is very strange from a Sean McVay team. Yeah, <laughs> that's all I'm gonna have to say on that. It's just so it's so ugly. It's just so ugly. And then moving on to the last game on the slate that we have to talk about. You want to talk about ugly? How about that Tennessee Titans offense? When was the last time, Dan Tracy, that an NFL team, not a high school team, not Army, not Navy, not Air Force, when was the last time that an NFL team did not complete a single pass to a wide receiver in a game that not only went four quarters, went to overtime? 
Yeah, that game was was unbelievable. And you know, because of that, I kind of keep I kind of kept going back and forth between well, oh, the Titans had no business winning this game. They do not deserve it. They deserve that loss for the way they played in offense. And then I see the way the defense played. The Chiefs were on the field constantly. Yeah. And they still they never ran out of gas. And I'm saying, oh, they should have won that one because of the defense. Um, it, it's the it's the only game I think where you can say, hey, look, this defense gave up almost 450 passing yards, and it was excellent because it was yeah. the Chiefs. The Chiefs had the ball. I, I don't know the exact I don't know the exact time of possession, but they right had now. the ball. What for? Keep what talking, for, like, I'll find it. But in the second, no, in the first half, it's going to be skewed though, because in the first half the Titans had the ball a lot. In the second half, it felt like the the Titans never had the ball because they kept giving it away. That mm-hmm. last drive uh, in regulation took 19 seconds. That's oh. how quickly it was between punts. They got it. They started with 35 seconds left. They kicked it away with 16 left. 19 seconds. The Chiefs had the ball constantly in the second half, and the Titans defense never really wore wore down, even when they scored the game-tying touchdown. They didn't wear down. They covered the receivers so well that Patrick Mahomes had to take off running. And it was a little bit of a mistake to let him even run for 20 yards on third and 17. I get that. Uh, but that defense never ran out of gas, and they deserve credit for that. Even with Bud Dupree on the sidelines and Harold Landry out for the year, they kept bringing that pressure. Um, so you'd be surprised because even with the amount of time that the Tennessee Titans had the ball, in the first half, time of possession was 41 minutes to the Chiefs and 26 minutes to the Titans. Yeah, wow. I'd love to see what the second half actually looked like because it, it really it felt like uh, the Titans' defense was on the field the entire time. And yeah. usually, first of all, against any team, usually a defense would run out of gas in that case. Uh, but against the tight against the Chiefs, usually defenses run out of gas much earlier than that. And it's incredibly impressive because Patrick Mahomes threw the ball sixty eight times last night too, yeah. and, which you is know, this, this an is ungodly why, amount of passes. Yeah, it was two away from the record, I believe. Yeah. Um, and this is why I actually think last night kind of restored some confidence in the Titans for me. Yeah, they played some ugly games. This game, though, you feel like yes, I know Ryan Tannehill's not great. I know, and I know they don't have receivers. But you feel like if Ryan Tannehill was playing quarterback, they win that game. Yeah. And it, it the fact that the defense is able to hang with the Chiefs, despite missing two of their top pass rushers, one of them will be back, one of them won't, uh, it, it really kind of reinforces the fact that the Titans are far and away the best team in the AFC South, and they are a legitimate yeah. playoff team. We, we At the beginning of the year, we kind of we were all out on the Titans. We thought it, that was it for them, that this little run that they've had the last three years was over. I don't think so. I think they're as good as they were last year uh, yeah. when you know they were kind of an undeserving number one seed. I think they're that team. I, I, I agree with you. And I think that the fact that the last two games they played as well as they did with Malik Willis legitimately completing like 11 passes in two games, uh, yeah, almost beating the Chiefs. That's a big thing there too. Um, the last point I want to make in the entire episode is shout out to Brady Quinn who before the season went on record as saying this New York Jets team could either be 0 and 9 or 1 and 8 at the bye week and the Jets are 6 and 3 at the bye week being the first team mind you to hit their over under win total on the season set by Vegas so 
Shout out to the haters. Shout out to Brady Quinn, who I'm pretty sure the Jets could win the World Series. The World Series. The Jets can win the the Super Bowl, and he'd still have something bad to say about them. <laughs> I mean, listen, so, sorry, you didn't get a chance to play on the Jets, even though you thought you were going to be the starting quarterback in 2009. Sorry, buddy. Don't know what to tell you. Uh, yeah, so shout them out for that. Uh, Brady Quinn is garbage, and his takes are awful. Uh, <laughs> but so wait, so the Jets are the first team to hit the over to hit the over. By yeah. The way, what was the Seahawks then? I think it's six and a half. Okay, that's kind of high for the, the Jets. Although, the Jets were five and a half. All right. Yeah, yeah. I was surprised by the Giants too. At the I, I know that I know the Giants haven't hit it yet because I was surprised at the beginning of the year that they had it up at maybe like seven or something like that. Yeah, I think uh, but six and a half as well. In this, in this case, Vegas gets it right with the Giants and the Seahawks. Not the mm-hmm. Jets, though. Should have set it higher for the Jets. Uh, you know, I'm not going to blame them, though. I had the Jets pretty low, too. I didn't. <laughs> I actually had the Jets. Well, I had the Jets at eight and nine this right. year. So well, we want to be better than that. No, we want to, but I was. I, I thought no, that. Yeah, that I would, give you credit, but I thought that was an overestimation. I was like, "There's no way the Jets finish eight and nine this oh, year." Yeah. Well, you you hit the ceiling. I I would have I would have made fun of you if you went any higher than that. But now, but isn't it great though that our goals are even higher than your wildest prediction? Dude, we might win ten games. I mean, that is insane to me. Like, we so haven't even won ten games the combined last three seasons. So it feels like ten games is what they have to get to to reach the playoffs. They could do it, right? So. You know, nine, nine, usually the last team in now in this new format is what the, that's what the last team in has. The Steelers went nine, seven, and one last year. Um, the Colts almost got in at nine and eight. So nine gives you a chance. 10 usually gets you in. Uh, so that, that should be the goal for the Jets is at least finish four and four. And if you can go 11 and six, you're in, you're all, you're guaranteed to be in essentially. It remains to be seen, but regardless, it's an exciting prospect. Dan Tracy, this has been episode number 17. We've been doing this for 17 weeks, almost a full, well, technically 18 because we missed a week. So we've been doing this for a full regular season of the NFL. If you want to break it down that way, it's kind of weird, but if you want to break it down that way, um, this has been great. I mean, this was, I say it every week. But this was my favorite episode. You know why? Because it keeps getting better every single week, and the Jets keep winning. So it, it's always it always makes me happy when when the Jets win. I, I think anytime you got a victory Monday, doing an episode on a victory Monday, there's a little, there's something special to it. I'm so giddy, yeah. But this has been episode 17. We thank you guys so much for listening and listening this long. This is the norm. I don't know what to tell you guys. These episodes are going to be about this long every single week because it's only once a week, but. Regardless, thank you guys so much for your support. Shout out R. Wilson again. Number one. uh, He was number one. Number one for being number one. That is Dan Tracy. I'm Peter Andrew Thank you guys so much for listening, and we hope that you tune in next week.